This is Cinema Degeneration. What the hell is happening? You're out by the edge of the Deadlands. Crawlers got you. Crawlers. Cannibals. The ugly fucks that live underground in the landfills. That's because you've forgotten. You've all forgotten, haven't you? You poisoned the world, you stripped a layer off the sky, and when the ice came, you just left. You left us here to die. You left us in your shit. Now, you don't even remember. split apart. The lucky ones went to Inworld. The rest were left behind. You're an Inworlder. What the hell is happening? Crawlers got you. Cannibals. Crawler home. For one woman, trapped in the universe of her own mind, there's only one way. What do you want? To escape. All I want is... There's something real. Turn it on. Plug in. Drop out. Mind warp. Part dream. Part nightmare. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen, ghouls and goblins, to another episode of Wasteland Appreciation Month here at Cinema Degeneration. This is the second episode, and we're bringing back the boys. We're putting the band back together. We have our good friends and good co-hosts, uh, Corey Dawson and Eric Phillips. Fellas, how the hell are you doing tonight? Doing good over here. <laughs> Better than ever. <laughs> I can't remember. I've had so much fun uh, when I was this awake. <laughs> well, if you had this much fun while you weren't awake, somebody else was having the fun. I mean, I'm just saying. Oh, uh, that was me. That was me. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 a, it was a good feeling to do this a couple of weeks back when we recorded the first episode of this uh, appreciation month when we did Hell Comes to Frogtown. We were supposed to record this one uh, uh, several days back, about a week ago, but uh, one of us fell ill, so we had to postpone. But that's all right. Once again, getting the band back together is 108 miles to Chicago. We've got a half packing 
tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark out, and one of us is probably wearing sunglasses. <laughs> Hopefully not Corey, since he's on the road. We'll hope he's not wearing sunglasses. But then again, it didn't seem to bother old Elwood, so why should it bother you? You are not going to get me to sing the song. I will not sing the song. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. We'll see if I can get rope you into that. <laughs> uh, but once again, we are here to celebrate uh, Wasteland Appreciation Month for post-apocalyptic mayhem movies that uh, specifically take place in or and around the Wasteland. And since I... Uh, I was uh, a little uh, discombobulated when we recorded last time. It had been a while since I had recorded, so I'd, I abandoned all notes and, you know, abandoned all hope ye who enter here. And I forgot to ask the main question, which I will ask today before we get into the movie that we're going to be reviewing and dissecting. Uh, I'll ask you first, Eric, what is your favorite uh, post-apocalyptic, like, wasteland-themed movie? Uh, we covered that last week with Hell Comes to Frogtown. I mean, it's it's right up my alley of '80s cheese, and it's like there's there's two kinds of cheese when it comes to movies. There's that good quality nacho cheese, and there's that oily runoff stuff the cheap restaurants use that nobody wants, and that's <laughs> high quality cheese. <laughs> oh yeah. Dude, I, I know I've told you this before, but you are a motherfucking wordsmith. I gotta say. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, when you can't fight, you have to be funny or die. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And hey, we have no affiliations alive. with that channel. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. One vote for Hell Comes to Frogtown. All right, Corey, what about you? What's your favorite, sir? Well, I have to cheat slightly because uh, I'm real bad with favorites. I'm real bad with like top 10 lists and all that kind of stuff. I, it seems like normally I there's something I can mention. There, there's always honorable mentions and everything. But the one that I think that needs a little more uh, focus and a little more exposure is The Day After. Oh, uh, okay. I think uh, I'm not quite sure about this, but I thought it was a TV movie, but it had Nicholas Meyer attached, uh, director uh, of Wrath of Khan and Seven Percent Solution, the Shalakian. The day um, after, is that the movie with the atomic bomb that goes off? Yes. Yes, that is a that was a made-for-TV movie. Yeah, but it was so the quality was so high, and it was uh, the drama was so fierce. Um, I remember thinking even as a kid that. This has got to be what it's like. Actually, from what I remember, um, I was old enough when that was actually aired on TV. And there were quite a few of the adults in uh, my parents' circles that were kind of running around going, uh, that might be kind of real at the moment. We were on the phones <laughs> calling each other. They're like, no, it's a movie. It's a movie. It's a movie. Yeah, I, I think I read something about there being a little bit of a War of the Worlds thing with that. Because when you when you do TV movies like that, you got to watch your ass sometimes. It was kind of an impressionable age during that time. I think that was like the height of the Cold War, or at least uh, the Cold War had just started to, to you know, warm oh, yeah. up a little bit. So that was pretty – I remember that being so heavy. They even played that in school. I think that may have been where I saw it first was in school. But I remember thinking when I found out later that Nicholas Meyer had done it, I was like, well, it makes perfect sense because that guy, he did time after time as well, which is like one of my favorite time travel films. But uh, the day after, definitely undersung for sure. Really bleak. 
No, I got I got to say I'm I'm going to give a really uh I guess the term would be basic bitch kind of answer. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going with the Road Warrior. The Road Warrior came out oh, at just wow. a certain hey, time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's nothing wrong. That is not a basic bitch answer by far. That is a but, good series. That's what that's pretty much what we hold everything else up to is the Road Warrior. Right, right. I, mean, I, think, I think I honestly think in that realm, the basic bitch answer would would have been for you to say Mad Max, which yeah, would have been I agree. Yeah. Yeah. or Thunderdome. Yeah. Well, even yeah, that see, that even makes more sense to Mad Max. But I think that people would have just said Mad Max as its blanket term for the post-apocalyptic road. Yeah. The Mad Max series. So I think that he since he's pointing that out, I think that 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 goes beyond the basic bitchdom. Yeah, and I th- I think you know you're you're right, Eric. You know it's it's the other, it's the movie that I think all these other you know post apocalyptic films are held accountable to, you know because everything think about it everything everybody and their brother I mean like was trying to emulate or imitate the Road Warrior. They weren't necessarily trying to imitate or emulate Mad Max. They were no, emulating you're, the Road you're saying Warrior. right now you, when you say everyone and their brother, I think you're saying. Mario and Luigi when you say that, right? <laughs> right. right. It's, a, it's a room full of Italians that, that's doing the homework on the post-apocalyptic, for sure. Yeah, and we're, we're, we're going to be covering several of those. I'm ac- actually, next week with uh, Tom Bradinsky, I'm going to be covering Battle Truck, which is probably one of the... the, <laughs> the, the no, I'm not going to say one of the worst uh, assaults on the census, but it's got some great stunts. I'll give it that. But I don't want to get into Battle Truck now. But yeah, I I love uh, I love the Mad Max series. I mean, even Fury Road. But Road Warrior is just my jam. It came out when I was an impressionable age. It was one of the first VHSs that we ever had. We had a copy of Apocalypse Now, uh, Road Warrior, and Empire Strikes Back. Was the three? Holy shit! Three. What a shelf that was. Whoa. Actually, you know what? I am going to change my answer that you answered earlier. Frogtown. Uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown is one of my favorite post-apocalypse, but I thought of another one that I talk about all the time with you, Cameron, that it, it just bypassed my head because I've pretty much given up on ever watching the movie again. And that's the heroic trio to the Executioners. That is yeah. a post-apocalyptic water crisis. And it's filmed and shot so well and it's got such great action sequence and you got michelle yo freaking kung fuing it the fuck up and oh, michelle yo is so good she's so and awesome. her and her freaking character at the end of the movie is one of the most fucking spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen it her character dies and it's a brutal fucking death no it is a brutal death It, it I just occurred to me to that I think I, I, us, I found that version that okay. Oh, I was just gonna say I, I think that we're kind of the apocalyptic trio because everything we've talked about as a trio has been apocalyptic. I mean, split second is definitely a post-apocalyptic. Yeah, it's a it's at least at the very minimum dystopian. Post disaster. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say post I'd say post disaster because it's about climate change, climate warming. More than it is about no, exactly sure nuclear waste, man. But if we're scavengers of the deep, or what? Let's <laughs> say we're black-filled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but to tell you how much of a, of a Road Warrior fan I was, I had my mother, who was very much a seamstress, she sewed everything, put 
together everything, put together and sewed up a fake leather outfit for me when I was about nine years old uh, for a Halloween outfit of a replica <laughs> of Mad Max's uh, or Max Rockatansky's outfit from the Road Warrior, complete with like the little fake holster for a little fake cap shotgun that I had and the whole shebang. So imagine wow. little 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 Cam running around the you know the suburban oh, I, areas begging for candy. Surprised. I am not <laughs> surprised at all. Your mom is a badass. So do you have a uh, do you have a supplement for like the degenerates to look at like these photos and stuff? Oh uh, like no, a, well, like, like a companion to the show. No, I I wish I did. My uh, uh, long story short, our, our house burned down when I was very young, and I lost oh, most of the pictures and most of the keepsakes of everything that I had. I had one small photo album that we got out that was water damaged and had a few photos that were not uh, fucked up. But nah, there's there's no photos of any of that. It all got lost in the house fire. But unfortunately, though, you know, much like you know. Uh, at the end of Mad Max, you know, says the Road Warrior. That was the last we ever saw him. He lives now only in my memories. Well, uh, let's not go too far. I'm sure that there are photos that exist right now in your bedroom of you in a leather outfit. I mean, oh, well, there's one sure that about my mantle. Now you're talking. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, but that involves a I don't know exactly what you mean by mantle right now, but you know. But yeah, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth, Eric. I was going to say, but yeah, but that's me in a ball gag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we're going off the rails here already. Hey, maybe we should, t- we're 10 minutes into the show already. Maybe we should tell the people at home what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, this one uh, is, is all thanks to Eric. He suggested this after we did our, our uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown episode. We're going to be doing one of the Fangoria exclusives from the early 90s, 1991's Mind Warp, uh, starring Bruce Campbell and Angus motherfucking Scrim. And yeah, he, yeah. Oh, he's so good in this. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But this was part of the, you know, there was a trio of films that was put out by Fangoria exclusive, uh, Fangoria Film Entertainment. <laughs> Very short-lived series. Yeah, and the thing is, they were really good. I mean, they weren't, like, fantastic. They weren't theatrical releases. They were released straight to uh, VHS and back in the day. Uh, the other for, two... For uh, the early other... 90s movies, um, them being straight VHS releases and being part of Fangora Magazine, which if anybody knows about Fangora Magazine, it's, it's kind of a cheese show, too. But yeah. it's got a lot of facts. It's got a lot of behind the scenes. It's got a lot of movie trivia. You know, it's a it's a pretty rounded magazine. And so when they put these three movies out, it was, you know, oh wow, okay, these are worth checking out. And then people check them out and they're like, yeah, they're not great movies. Like, <laughs> well, they're Fangora. What do you expect? It's like you know, going to fucking trauma and <laughs> expecting a freaking Emmy nominee. Well, it's like, you know, as much as I love Troma, as much as I love Full Moon, you know, they're never going to be Oscar winners. And so no, and neither will, and neither was Fangoria. You know, they weren't going to be it. <laughs> but they're all winners in our books to the people that yeah. matter, the fans, you know, but they're never going to get that mainstream. You know, no, people no. either under they either understand the scene or they don't. And a majority of people are not. What is it the kids say today? And I hate to say this phrase, if you know, you know. And well, we know. Well, the other two films, I got to mention them because they're also two uh, favorites of mine, were Children of the Night, which was a 
vampire story and then severed ties which was uh very much body horror and they were all very bloody very gory short on plot but high on effects and it's kind of what this movie is uh this movie's you know a little bit higher on plot plot line and a little uh, you know or not uh, not so much higher on plot line or higher on the gore qu- quotient and lower on plot line but uh you know i, I think this one probably has the the better story it definitely has the better cast. I mean, it has Bruce Campbell, it has Angus Scrim, and uh, you know, it has K and B effects with you know, headed by Nicotero. I mean, it's oh, it had a lot going for it. When you but, have K and B coming in, that that's going to be fifty percent of, of the worth of anything that's going straight to video. I mean, I would be willing to guess that K and B probably didn't do a whole lot of stuff that was going straight to video. I would think that it would at least would have some kind of play on some of the um, the home box office type stuff, at least uh, with with that type of thing. So when you have them on board, I, I think that you got a much better chance than anything else in the field. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But yeah, with KMB, you, you know, you had Howard Berger, uh, Greg Nicotero, and Robert Kurtzman. They were the, they were the K and the N and the B of KNB, and they were the best of, at their time, and they're still rocking it. But uh, let's go ahead and get off into the the movie. We'll start with, uh, as usual, as we usually do with the IMDb synopsis. Let me do my movie voice here, which is as follows. Mind Warp, 1991. In post-apocalyptic 2037, Judy rebels against the AI-ruled utopia, where people live in a happy VR simulation. She is exiled to a post-nuclear wasteland where she meets Drifter Stover. Mutated cannibals capture them for their leader, the seer. That's pretty accurate. That, that's that's a fairly well-written synopsis. So you know, kudos yeah. to IMDb for not getting it wrong. Yeah, it's pretty pretty straight to the point. Yeah, most of the time I feel like they're, they're written by like a you know a fifth grader with a bad attitude, but that one was <laughs> was was done pretty well. But Judy, our our main character, she is played by a Marta Martin. Uh, she is a was credited as Marta Alicia. She was an actress for quite a few years. I think her last movie came out uh, 2001, 2002. She was in Star Trek, uh, TV shows like Stark, uh, CSI, you know, CSI Miami, uh, City of Angels and whatnot, NYPD Blue. But uh, she was also on Team Knight Rider, which was a really short-lived TV show. Well, we'll probably have to do an episode or two of that for a future episode just for shits and giggles. But uh, let's go ahead and get off into it. And I'm going to ask you all first about first impressions with this movie. And I'm going to go with uh, Corey first since this was a first time watch for you, was it not? This was a first time watch for me. I don't remember seeing the cover ever. I hadn't heard uh, I hadn't heard a damn thing about this movie. So when you suggested it. I just I leapt straight into it and we were kind of joking about this, but it was on Tubi for some reason. They must have had it in the pipe to take off Tubi almost as soon as we watched it because I watched it and then Cameron watched it and then it was donezo gone off of that service. So I was like, damn, I'm glad I watched it when I did. The first impressions that I have most definitely were the were these. The opening credits, um, for me, I'm real big. I think that the font of your credits is a real big like precursor to how the quality of the film. 
And it reminded me, especially with the little couches, they would get in these plug-in couches to get into. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. I'm forgetting a piece. There is this, uh, I guess you call it almost like an infomercial that comes up. And the graphics on it are so good that it could be in a commercial right now. And it's about Infinisynth, which is like infinity and synthesis like squished together. So it's Infinisynth. And it's this VR utopia world that you plug into, you know, i.e. the Matrix, all that kind of shit. But it's it's wonderful. It, it actually kind of harkened back slightly to me uh, from like Soylent Green when you would go in and like it was the, the end of your life and they're showing you like the great things about humanity and the earth and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it showed you all this utopian looking stuff. But when it actually gets into the chamber where Judy and her mother are jacking in, the first thing that I remember was the font and the couches that they were sitting in. It was so Cronenbergian to me. It was straight out of a Cronenberg film from at that moment. The only thing that was kind of taken away from that was the plugins were totally uh, the computers of the time. It was basically like the male and female. Although I did, <laughs> yeah. notice, I did notice something interesting, though. It wasn't uh, the, the male plugging into the human female. It was the machine female being plugged into by the male human, which I thought was interesting. Because in the Matrix, they're plugging into you. You're not plugging into this. Right. So right. I, thought that was, I thought that was an interesting element. And uh, what else? Was I oh, the, the, I thought that the music, the score beats here were fantastically well done. I thought that the score was very well done. Very, very well done. Because sometimes you'll get some kind of half-ass, not to cast aspersions on the band family, but every once in a while, the their their scores aren't quite up to snuff. But I thought this one was fantastic. I didn't quite pick up on who had done it or if they'd done anything before. But uh, I thought it was a great intro, and I was in as, as soon as it came through. I was actually in until Judy spoke. I think Judy, I'm going to come right off the bat. Judy's the weak link in this movie. Like I agree. Flat out. I agree. The weak link. But for, um, you know, for our main character, she she is she's limp noodle, so to speak. Oh, it's, it's horrible. Very, like, very lackluster for a main character. It almost seemed like she was hiding some accent the whole time, and it, it was coming off real fucking weird. But um, as it was going along, I remember thinking, well, the title of Mind Warp. I normally don't say it is, but it isn't. I hate that. I hate it when people say it is, but it isn't. But Mind Warp is the right title, and it isn't the right title. It is the right title because by the time this movie has ended, you're like, whoa, what the fuck was all that? Well, <laughs> but, would you rather have it's the UK release? Do you want to know what it was? Do you wanna, would you rather have the name under its UK release, which is Brain Slasher? Ooh. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, that's a little more provocative, I guess, but I don't think either one of those really encapsulates what this movie is all about. Um, well, because when you're going in, it really goes in a bunch of differing directions, but uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Cause there's going to be a lot more stuff to talk about. All right, Eric, what about you? What was your first impressions? And when was the first time you saw mind warp? 
Uh, the first time I saw Mind Warp was about a week before you said, hey, we're doing post-apocalyptic uh, appreciation month. You got any suggestions? And I was like, oh, yeah. Hell comes to Frogtown. I want that right away. And you're like, oh, do you want Corey to do that? And I was like, he wants to do that too. Like, whatever more the merrier. Bring him on. <laughs> Get him in here. But, but then after that, I was like, oh, what a... And I was like looking around and I was like, I had just watched Mind Warp. And it was like the only reason I even put that movie on was because I was looking through the credits and I was like, Bruce Campbell. I was like, a Bruce Campbell movie? I haven't seen you. What the fuck? There we go. Sign that up. <laughs> Here we go. Put that on. And then I'm sitting there watching it and I'm looking at the credits and I see Angus Scrim. And I'm like, how did I fucking miss this movie? <laughs> like, because it was a Fangora straight to film. Okay. That explains it. <laughs> So I get there to watch it. And my basic first impressions of this film were somebody ripped off Mad Max and somebody had just watched Total Recall. <laughs> oh, man. I, I didn't, even, I didn't yeah. even think about that. I didn't even think about the Total Recall aspect. Oh, man. It's, it's, it is so Total Recall. It is so much Total Recall. It's almost ridiculous. And it's like the acting is there. Bruce Campbell always puts it in. Angus Grimm always puts it in. Main character, not so much. But you know what? I can forgive that. And she does a passable job. Yes, it's, she does. It's, it's, she's, it's just a, a little lackluster. But the whole entire movie kind of comes off like a fever dream, and then it leans into all these sci-fi tropes. And it, I mean, what starts off as a good movie in the beginning kind of limps its way to the finish line. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. I mean, it definitely had it had great premise. It had potential. It had cast. It had the visuals. Even um, with can I break under in, a million dollars. Real quick. Yeah. Can I break in real quick? Um, I you may want to cut this out later, but there talk about post apocalyptic. There is an active. Uh, there is an active holocaust of a car on fire in the road right now oh shit well hopefully it's not yours i thought that it was a bunch of holy toledo it's a car carrier holy shit i can feel the heat through my car i just passed it oh my god you guys it's 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 fucking one of those semis that carries a shit ton of cars yes holy shit and the whole it thing is on fire? It, it, no, not the trailer, just the cab. It is exploded. Oh, shit. And I'm on the other side of the road, almost into the shoulder, and I could feel the heat on my face. Damn. Holy. Yeah, dude, if, we if, if we weren't taping right now, I would have been taping that. Yeah, we're that's burning hot, too, if you could feel the heat God. coming off of that. Damn it. Okay, sorry, you guys. Sorry. No, sorry. no, hey, no. <laughs> That's something we're and, and we're de- and definitely not cutting that out. Not cutting that out. <laughs> I can't believe that. Okay, okay, okay sorry, sorry. See sorry. the effects that you don't see behind the scenes here at Cinema Degeneration. <laughs> we set set shit on fire. The planning had the planning you had to do to make that happen from Champagne. I'm telling you. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, 
uh, I don't even know how I can top that. I, I was going to talk about my my first impressions of this, but <laughs> I, I actually have a, a unique story. I saw this movie when it first came out. I rented it. I saw it on the video shelf, and I was just like, I hadn't heard about it. I hadn't even seen it uh, advertised in Frangoria magazine, which I got every fucking month. But I was just like, Bruce Campbell, Angus Grimm, I'm in, I'm in 110%. I saw right. it, and it just came and went for me as as a kid. You know, I, I saw it. I was about fifteen, and it, it to me it was just okay. I think I have a much greater appreciation for it now uh, as an as an adult. But uh, I met Bruce Campbell, and one of the several times I met Bruce Campbell. And I met him with my mom. My mom took me to see him at a Fangoria show in Villa Park, Illinois. And I was gushing, you know, like, oh, dude, I love your movies. I love every single movie of yours that I've seen. And from behind me, I hear my mom say, yeah, we even like Mind Warp. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, oh, God, Ma. (laughs) Uh Ma has no chill. But, you know, I love her to death. But and he just kind of raised his eyebrow and just continued signing my Army of Darkness poster and just didn't say anything. And I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. Speaking of Bruce, well, I, I was thinking I think about the a, thing. I think that's a little unfair. Like, I, I think that for him not to – I think that he ought to be proud of this performance because, to me, in my opinion, I think it was some of the best acting he's ever done. Well, it's the because most non-Bruce-like performance he's ever given. He, he's not playing. It's what he would have sh- Go ahead. I don't say he's not. He's not playing off of his his you know, usual arch- archetype. He, he's not playing an Ash type character. He doesn't have the usual Bruce Campbell kind of s- smarmy charm. It's the loudmouth braggart. Yeah, yeah. He's not. He's yeah. not doing that. And I I think is one of his most under- understated performances. Is one of my favorite. You know, in retrospect, it's one of my favorite Bruce Campbell performances. I think that it shows what he could have been uh, to be what he wanted to be, which was like, you know, a serious, dramatic actor and even like an action actor. I think that he was showing what he was capable of in this movie. And I think that it I, I think it's shown it really shown in this movie for sure. Absolutely. If I were to meet him, I would bring this up and I would say, dude, this was the the acting that people should have seen, for sure. I 100% agree with both of you. I love that shit. I love the Bruce Campbell stuff. I love the iconic, uh, iconoclastic stuff that he does. But when you see this, I think you really see what he would be capable of. Like, it almost seemed like this is going to seem like an insane stretch. But from watching this, I could think of him doing of Mice and Men, just from oh. watching this. Because he's so... Oh. Um, He's no nonsense, but like you say, he's not doing the braggart. He's no nonsense. Very simple. Um, he doesn't telegraph his toughness, which is really rare for him. Usually he's kind of like almost like as an insecurity where he's like, you know, trying to get that bluster out there. It was very understated is the perfect word for it. Very, very understated. And to be honest, the whole time, this is going to be really fucking weird. I was wondering if his first name was Russell, like the candies. <laughs> I couldn't help but think that his first name was actually Russell, but but that kind of took away from it. But um, I think that for him not to have been proud of this performance is a disservice, really. I almost think that he may. I, I wonder sometimes if maybe he knew he was in the presence of Scrim and he was like, you know, 
I meant to kick this up a little. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And and speaking of, Angus Grimm really gives a really great performance that's like, I wouldn't say outside of his wheelhouse, because, I mean, let's face it, I mean, he he is so chilling as the tall man in every character he plays. But, like, this is a totally different kind of level. I mean, we'll get into it, but, you know, it leans into uh, pedophilia and bestiality and uh, cannibalism. Which, when you realize where what it's based in and where it's coming from makes it even fucking weirder. Right. Right. So like you said, we'll get to it later, but it's weird on its own. But then when you realize what the basis is, then you're kind of, you're, you're, you're thinking it's even weirder than it would have been. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Um, One of the main things that, you know, really caught my eye about this movie that made it worth the watch um, and made it that, 80s cheese that's enjoyable is Angus Scrim and Bruce Campbell's performances. Bruce Campbell's performance, you know, shines as, you know, I'm, I'm so used to seeing him play the loudmouth braggart, friggin' tough guy, but he's an imbecile type character. And this one is more down to earth, kind of almost uh, downtrodden a little bit. And by oh, yeah. the end of it, and by the end of it, goes totally insane. And it's something that you don't you you don't really see Bruce do all that much. So that performance was great. And Angus Scrim as the seer, just totally new villain. You know, when I when I saw that, I'm like, oh, is it going to be another tall man performance? Is he a one trick pony? Because I've seen him in other stuff, and I know he can do different types of acting, but another villain. Is he going to lean into this? Is he going to lean in? And no, it was a totally different performance. It was something completely new. And it was very enjoyable and unnerving. It was very professorial. Yes, I agree. I would I would agree with that. Well, especially when it leans into, you know, we can now not have to talk about this in a linear fashion because we, we tend to jump all over and that's fine. But like when it gets into like what the overseer or the the systems operator you know is is up to when it's finally like it gets into it and this is something that patty had touched on because she watched it with me and this was the first time watch for her as well you know she's like okay so like all of a sudden like he put her through he put judy through all this and but part of it the thing was to turn her into the new you know seer the new systems operator but did he have to go to the like he's like the the new like uh you know the new daughter route where he was going to like you know mate with her and and or I, I can't tell if he was going to mate with her or if he was going to eat her or or both or in what <laughs> in what fucking orders like you must take over for me you know and all that that kind of shit and it's just like okay but like I'd be like um okay dad I, I understand that you wanted to make sure I could handle the the ride but <laughs> did you have to you know, uh, I guess a new phrase we're going to use her turn into a, ch- a chuckle fuck and try to to rape me. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's not what I got from that at all. This this is going to be interesting because what I got from it was he wasn't giving because when he um, early like uh, this is not linear like I said, but the reason why she even descends into kind of like this weird subterranean nether world of the post-apocalyptic earth outside of the invisicent or uh, infinisent 
sort of uh, utopia society, more futuristic building. When it gets into that, she's been like exiled. Right, right. And but later on, when you find out that he's been he's kind of put her through these trials so that she can take his place. I always saw it as him taking because I wouldn't think that you'd be able to imagine something that wasn't in your own head. So I always I saw when I watched it as he was taking elements from inside of her head to build this this world, this exile. So to me, I thought it was a uh, electric complex uh. where she had an electric complex for her dad because he had been, because it, it, it was slightly, it was just slightly touched upon with her mother uh, when they're still in the chamber. Cause she, I think she's the worst type of damsel in distress in this movie where she bitches about change and how she can't stand the status quo and she wants to break free. Got to break free. <laughs> then when she finally breaks free, and then she's like, Oh, but there's no warm towels. <laughs> so it's kind of like, she's this fucking, it's almost like this weird fucking where she's like, I want to get to the nitty gritty of life. And then when she gets there, she ends up being this fucking rich bitch fucking, uh, almost like a, I don't know, trust fund baby, where she, she doesn't want to be there anymore now because it hurts and because she's hungry and because everything's dirty. So, like, when she ends up in this thing, somehow it's this weird sadomasochistic stuff from her own mind. That's that's the way that I got it. Well, you know, and I, I, I think I have to agree with that. You kind of open my eyes to that a little bit. But when you think about it, like, the way this movie opens after she gets out of her little you know, the little infinisent uh, couch. The, all they ha- have is the infinisent and that green sludge to eat. Like, that green baby food, man. It looked like baby poop. Like, when all that's all you have, I, I can't imagine living a life like that. Just like, oh, I'm going to, like, eat avocado puree and uh, eat, sleep, and shit this stuff. Hey, <laughs> damn it. If it's good enough for RoboCop, it's good enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, OCP might have been uh, might have been part of Infinicent, you know. It, it could it be a shared universe. It could be. Uh, okay, well, I, I, I saw a label on the side of the bottle that says Murphy's Own on there. Murphy's <laughs> Own Purple Sludge. <laughs> so I'll take it. I'll take it a, a route deeper and tell you how I came to the conclusion of this movie and what it meant. Um, I think Corey got it seventy oh, percent of the way there. With the uh, whole uh, in her mind and her getting prepared and ready for this. But I think it goes a little bit deeper. Think about the name of the program and the the system they're using. Infinisent. That means this thing is meant to go on infinitely and to synthesize human life. Which means you're going to have... The good, and you're going to have a lot of the dark. And let's face it, people's minds go to dark places. And this fucking, you're supposed to be the controller of all of this, which means you're going to have every person's dark thought, dark fantasy, nightmare, pleasure, everything, every kind of human emotion mixed up into this thing. Yeah, all the good and the bad. All the good and the bad. So this computer has to run through this program, realize what you're trying to do, what it's trying to do. And so at the end, what you get is this mix mash of, okay, 
she fantasizes about wanting to leave. She gets plugged into the program. Because she wants to leave, she ends up freaking causing something to get her kicked out, gets kicked out, goes into the wasteland. So you have all these stories that she's heard about the wasteland. Oh, there's nothing out there. There's mutants. There's this. There's that. So all these things that she's pictured in her mind that have happened. And what do mutants mean? What do monsters do? What do, the, what do inhuman people do? What is the worst that can happen? The fact, the fact that she's constantly trying to figure out what happened to her father. Why did her father leave? Blah, 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 blah. It all fucking mismatches into this friggin' giant simulation. And at the end of it, she's pulled out. And that's why she, she's mind warped. <laughs> it makes me wonder if maybe Stover actually, maybe she would have seen a picture of uh, Angus Grimm when he was a young man. And that's what Stover looks like. Oh, because you have to think, has she ever had, has she ever seen a man? That's the question. Besides right. her father, had she ever seen a man? So maybe Stover is actually her avatar of him as a younger man, and she's got that electric complex the whole time. So that would be the guy that she would uh, go for. And the whole thing with the uh, the black cylinder, I, I thought that was a, a good little hook where at the end of everything – okay, so the, so – so we don't forget, even though we're going nonlinear, so we don't forget kind of like the, the order of stuff. So when it, after the Invisisense, I keep saying Invisisense, Infinisense, uh, infomercial, her and her mom are in their chamber, and her mom is, uh, is addicted. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, totally. She, she thinks that there's, why would you ever want to experience anything but the pure paradise of anything that you want? So she's got this really interesting, it was almost like a boy and his dog type thing, where she's not in ancient Egypt. She's like playing Cleopatra in this opera. Uh, all these goddamn characters like this, which it seems like they're predominantly women, but I don't think it necessarily has to be that way. But where she's like, I'm not content, so everyone else's, you know, contentment has to be destroyed because my contentment isn't here. So she actually somehow, and this might also show why she was um, she was in line to be the overseer too where she could plug herself into her mom's fantasy. I found that interesting. I I like that aspect of it a lot. So maybe that's why she's capable is because she was already able to do that. And that also supports uh, your theory, Eric, of of, uh, kind of like everything from everybody is feeding through this thing. So it's like, that's also there. There might be a bunch of shit that's just coming in from everywhere. So she, she can go to anywhere and go to anyone. Like you never know. So, that's proto matrix as well. And also, I don't know if you guys felt this way, but there was a lot of fortress in here. I oh, felt a lot. Oh yeah. I forgot. Wait, yeah. I, I forgot about fortress. If you, yeah. you ever want to do fortress or if you, I mean, you may have done fortress, but if you ever do fortress, I want in. I love fortress. I have uh, fortress on, too. We have not done it. That should be on post-apocalyptic, shouldn't it? 
Yeah, it should. I guess it gets it counts. It, it, it's dystopian, so it kind of yeah. counts. Yeah. But anyway, so she goes in there and she's like, "Mom, you gotta break yourself out of this shit." And she basically just kind of like pushes her mom off the off the stage. Yeah, and she essentially causes was, the death of her mother. I mean, let's not gloss over that. It's intense. It's intense. And actually, I think this is, if I remember correctly, this is directly after her little hissy fit with the fucking pudding cup. And she gets in, and, and she's like, no! And she pushes her into the audience, and you never quite see. She just kind of like crowd surfs for a second. But then when she, and then I think that kind of like the alarms go off, she gets taken aside by the overseer, and then when she's woken up and put into exile, her mom is bleeding from the eyes, from the nose, from the ears. She got fucked up. Like her brain is has been pulverized by that weird like. And I was kind of wondering after it was all over if her entering her dream had caused that, or her disrupting, or both. I, I wasn't quite sure. It might have been a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah, that's what I would say. I would probably chalk it up to column A, column B. I think it's funny, though, though, not funny, but interesting, though, when they do that, when the Infinicent, you know, you know, security team shows up, they literally take a lighter and burn her Infinicent card. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's just like, okay, we're not letting you back. And it's like, well, she might become the new system. No more putting cups for you. Was it hers or her dad's? No, that was hers. That was hers. Okay. I, I took a, I took a note of it, and that's something else I took a note of during that scene when she is she wakes herself up and she's waiting for her mom to wake up. The the futuristic world of twenty thirty seven, listening to a CD player Walkman. Dude, Just, me too. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the big question: Does the anti skip work? <laughs> God, I would hope so. Oh Jesus. Uh, probably I mean, by not. 20, by 2037, I think they would have that fucking in the can. Uh, did you guys entertain the possibility that uh, that they're not even on the planet anymore? It's possible. That it might be a, like, a, like a satellite instead? Because there are so many things that are opened up by the ending that you're like, hmm. I bet That's that was a risky shoot, just being yeah. in the ruins of a copper mine. Yeah, and it says the budget. I I don't know how this movie had this much of a budget, but the budget of this movie was one million dollars. <laughs> because it had Angus uh, and Bruce Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Once you make the sets, because I, I didn't want to pass this opportunity up. I, I thought, and maybe I could be wrong. It could have been done a million other times, but I thought that it was very unique. That sort of like. The wasteland and the underworld that she's sent to for this exile where Stover lives and and did they ever give a name to the followers of the seer? I don't think so. I think they, they just at one time kept calling them lost people and called okay, them. Okay, so like the lost or like the marauders or something. So right. Um, so um I remember thinking that it was so damn clever and fortuitous to say that where they were was buried landfill. So they're down there digging in the landfill and finding all this useful shit over time in the landfill. I thought that was a brilliant idea. Well, I like, I like the part when they get... MacGyver's 
Are you talking about the part where he MacGyvers it? Yeah, where he c- comes across the 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 Cuisinart and steals parts from it. That was great because like it wasn't some kind of convenience where it's like, oh, it just so happened that there was a crowbar here. A Cuisinart is absolutely something that could find itself in a fucking landfill. So when you go in there and he kind of pries it apart, there's that spinning blade in there. Dude, that was a brilliant move. Because like that is totally something that could end up there. And it was a totally useful part. And as he, because uh, Stover gets, um, I guess you'd call it in prison. He gets sort of like taken. Because we can't forget that Judy and Stover, she she ends up in the wasteland, like just kind of like running around. Actually, I guess you call it quicksand, right? Yeah. Because like, she gets found by, I think, you know, actually the name of the, the, the huge, the human, the chuds, as I call them, the underground humanoid dwellers, they were called crawlers, is what they were called. Oh, crawlers, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I had, I went through my notes, I'm like, I knew I made a note about that. But yeah, she, she ends up falling into some quicksand, and they were somehow, like, not underground at that particular time, and they, like, took her out on that, like, that... <laughs> They, they like the thing. There's there's no interceptor like in Mad Max. There's no big semis. There's no marauding uh, Bro. motorcycles and stuff. It's just a tractor. Yeah. <laughs> well, you gotta do what you gotta do. But, but yeah, that, he, that's definitely kind of like the road warrior portion of this. <sighs> and uh, and Stover was he just kind of like on a ridge? Yeah, what I kind of see, you know, he was because he was looking at it with his uh, with his binoculars and whatnot before he started taking people out with his crossbow. Nice. Uh, one thing but, that you brought up sorry. about the Cuisinart, um, that is definitely one of the better scenes where he it's uh, what I call improvised weapons, <laughs> which is something that you know I uh, yeah I love improvised weapons. It's one of those things that just kind of makes movie details just a little bit better. You know, I don't like that convoluted shit where, oh, where did they get the fucking gun? Or how come they have all this ammo? Or how, much, how come this? You know, that always kind of takes away from it. So when you see somebody actually improvise a weapon, like the freaking chainsaw arm and uh, yes, that yes. too, the freaking the, the quarter shotgun from Phantasm. The friggin' Phantasm is really good at that too. I, uh, the first Phantasm movie, Michael takes a hammer and a thumbtack and a piece of scotch tape, wraps it around a shotgun shell, and blows the door off the handle. Now, yeah, fucking. The scary part is, is that back in the day, you could actually do that. That was an improvised shotgun. I mean. He probably would. He probably would have blown his fucking hands off. I'm yeah, sure, <laughs> he probably would have been picking up your fingers and putting them in a fucking sandwich bag. But it would work. Anarchist cookbook. Get yours on Amazon today. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to be on a government watch list? Do you want to have <laughs> only three fingers? <laughs> Find the anarchist cookbook. Come on down. I mean, I guess it's also sort of like, hi, I'm Nancy. I've, I've, it's Nancy's gauntlet. Here comes Freddy Krueger, improvised fucking Home Alone blast right to the face, like, uh, and also of a, of unknown origin, of course. 
Which one of these days, goddamn it, we're gonna do that fucking movie. But uh, yeah, man, I thought that was so cool. And he sort of there's a little bit of weird geography going on at this point, where it's like it's the wasteland. It's like flats as far as you can see, and there's ridges over here and dunes over there. And then it's kind of like Stover's place, where he's somehow managed to find. So it makes me wonder if he dug a little bit too. And it's I just like I always took it that he did that he had just found a safe spot that he thought was off their radar. He's had but, a lot of gear, so it makes me wonder if he was kind of digging into shit. So maybe when he gets captured and he's digging, maybe that's not his first rodeo, and so he was able to find that shit. Possibility. Uh, but I do, um, I like it because we were talking about kind of like, although uh, wait, I didn't, didn't want to miss this. I do find it to be a missed opportunity that one of the uh, the crawlers didn't have a chainsaw arm. That would have been really cool if he would have come across this guy and he's like, ha, he's got like a stick or something. And then he comes up with a chainsaw arm. That would have been a great little mug move, but it may have fucked up like his, you know, of mice and men performance or whatever. But uh, I think that he didn't do the uh, Sheila army of darkness the way like ash would treat women it was cool the way he kind of treated her as a little bit of a kind of annoyance a slight annoyance but he still had like a duty he was a little bit miffed that she was kind of like an albatross around his neck just slightly but it <laughs> wasn't in the ash flavor so i thought that was kind of no cool. he was he wasn't again like being the loudmouth braggart he he was just like oh great now i'm settled with this burden that i have to, to try right. to take care of great i need you dragging along with me like i need a bag on my hip right right <laughs> it was really reminding me of a character and i can't quite think of it right now but it, it was reminding me of somebody the way he was kind of reacting towards her well, I think, you know, again, like he was alone. His wife and his father had both been, you know, killed, you know, and he and he buried them or crucified them so so much and, as opposed to oh, burying them. Yeah, go on about the crucifixion. I forgot to mention that part. Well, yeah, because he crucifies them and, and doesn't he explain it to Judy at uh, Stover does at one point that, that if he buries them, that the, you know, the the crawlers would find them and eat them. And he just couldn't bear to like have his family, you know, be done that way because he's when he finds out that she's, you know, a, I guess what they whether they refer to them as dreamers, the infinite people that live in like you know the utopia, uh, he's shocked. Not only shocked, but he's like offended. You know, he almost doesn't want anything to do with her for a moment, and he's like. You know, why would you? Because he says to her at one point, he's like, why would you trade with that for this? Yeah, it was a good lesson. Good, good meaning there. But very you know, solid. I thought it was solid as fuck. I thought this, I thought that them together, I, I actually, I don't, okay, so I cast a little bit of aspersion on her saying she was the weakest link. I actually think that after she met up with him, and the moments with him are actually the best acting she does. So maybe it has to do with like who she's uh, going off of, or maybe if they filmed this in uh, chronological order, which I doubt they did. But if they did, maybe they were just kind of like getting on with each other's like chemistry a little bit. Because I found that once she kind of moves into her role, which I would say her role is kind of like this compatriot. He's not. She's not like his pet. 
she's not like his girlfriend. It's almost as if she's figured out what it's needed for her to do in this little dichotomy between them. And she kind of moves into it. And all of a sudden now they're like a unit. I thought that worked out real well. Of course it, it took a long stiff boning, but I mean, Oh, something else that, uh, I don't know. I, if, I can't. I can't a hundred percent be sure on this, but uh, something that you brought up was the crucifixion on the uh, the telephone poles. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure on this, but if you've ever played the Fallout games, uh, Fallout, Fallout New Vegas, some of those. I played uh, Fallout. I believe and Fallout 76. I played a couple of them. Yeah. I think Fallout New Vegas is the one. And if you know anything about the Fallout series, they're, it's a post-apocalyptic game, and they always have post-apocalyptic references. And one of the main things that come across in Fallout New Vegas is this general who lives out in the wastes and who's pretty much putting up people, crucifying them on the telephone poles. <laughs> So I'm glad you brought this up up because I think there are a lot of things that this movie inspired and a lot of things that are inspired by this movie. Oh, I a hundred percent agree with you. I mean, you can look at the first time, the first time I saw the seer, I was like, that's alpha, like bang right there from walking dead. Like it's almost the exact replica. And I don't even watch the walking dead. So I was like, Boom. The Matrix. Yep. yep. The Matrix. Yep. Yep. Oh, man. I will say one thing. I got to jump backwards for two seconds because I had a note here that I have to go over. I'm going to say the amount of quicksand that entertainment, car- that cartoons, movies, and TV shows has prepared me for versus what I've actually encountered are not comparable. No, it's very <laughs> underwhelming. I thought I was gonna. I thought quicksand was gonna be a really big problem when I was little, and I was like, <laughs> I'd be looking at places and like, is that quicksand? Oh no, get a stick, poke it. Is it moving? Does it feel wet? Okay, I think we can walk over there. I think it's safe. Doing yeah. that shit for fucking all my childhood, and come to find out, man, it's like, no. If you see quicksand, you'll know it. It's very watery. And it just looks sandy. <laughs> Doesn't she yeah, complain? Can, about- Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's a confusing wasteland because you go from the desert to quicksand to, you know, the ice shelf is there. So it's like nuclear fallout, uh, nuclear, you know, winter. So it's like, it's very confusing wasteland. I totally forgot about the ice shelf. Uh, Yeah, because when he fights them, that's when he he lands the one crawler into the the water and it's all the slushy. And And also, like, how hard and how difficult and nasty this movie must have been to film especially for bruce because he is uh, uh, always like waist deep in water and muck and sand and blood and shit and covered in leeches and everything else and like this must have been like a horrible maybe that's why he doesn't, doesn't like it he was just like yeah they didn't I think pay it's for that shit i think it's ramey like it's kind of like if you've been on a Herzog film if you've been on a uh you know Fossbender film if you've been on a uh, who was the guy who did like House of Jackville? Like, whenever you're on these guys' films, you kind of know what you're in for. And when you're in a Raimi film, especially if your name is Bruce Campbell, you're going to get fucking tortured at every opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I 
Might have written Bruce we, Campbell. Totally. Totally. Yeah, my, this. yeah, my favorite Bruce Campbell story involving Sam Raimi is that on uh, the set of uh, Army of Darkness, uh, when they're throwing the rocks at him, when he's being uh, led in the manacles, uh, those are actually spray-painted potatoes. Oh, my God. So, oh, they can hit him, so they can really hit him with it. And it looks real. Poor fucking Bruce rocking in a line, getting pelted by potatoes. Well, because it's cheaper to throw a potato at somebody than to have somebody do makeup bruises on them. Right. <laughs> you know? Also, that's lunch. That's craft services. I mean, right there. So you got that going. Oh, man. Was it any more than an ambush? Didn't they just sort of like bust through the window to get them? Well, yeah, because he's teaching her how to shoot the crossbow, and then he's like showing her stuff. It's right when they're trying to get busy, because this is about what thirty minutes into the movie. Yeah, yeah, they magically just show up, and but it's like so the crawlers are basically a bunch of cock blocks. I guess so. You know, but like I don't know. It, it depends on what uh, where her cycle was at. Like I don't know if they cycle in uh, in Utopia, but uh, knowing the importance of blood later in the movie, maybe it was kind of like a bear. Like you know, they they kind of smell it on the wind. So there's like, oh, this maybe they never knew where Stover lived until she was there. And just like every other story, as soon as you have the introduction of the female. I mean, it's it's a tale as old as time. I'm not I'm not like you know, judging anyone, and I'm not saying that it's it's right or good. But as soon as the woman like comes into the uh, the setup, all of a sudden everything just gets destroyed. You it, it, every almost every story you can think of. As soon as a new woman comes into play, whatever castle you had is done. Whatever system you have was done. Political thing like falls apart. People are eating each other. Like it. Can, Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. That's the way it's happening. So he's like, somehow that he's got a window in the sand dune. I don't know how the fuck that happened. But they come busting. He's like, hold up. He's like, I was hoping for like sloppy seconds, but no, not so much. And I got to say here, the again, we've already talked a little bit about KMB effects, but when the crawlers come out, I mean, when the, once they're finally shown, you know, and you actually get to see some of them in detail, the makeup, the, the prosthetics and shit are so well done. And like no doubles. No doubles. They're all individuals. I didn't see a single one that looked like another. Not one time. Right. 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 Which, you know, you look at other movies like Planet of the Apes, the original, not that remake crap, the original Planet of the Apes. You can see... Like you got two or three guys that are really good makeup, and then you got a bunch of guys running around in rubber monkey masks. <laughs> right. Did you guys name his little? Because um, oh, we didn't get a chance to talk about it at the time, but when you talked about like him getting, out, I'm actually a little disappointed that he didn't put the um, the blade from the Cuisinart on something. I was hoping he would make he would like put it on the end of a stick, but he ended up just kind of like holding it. But. Um, yeah, the you guy your hand tries to, so bad trying to fucking shank somebody that, with that. That's what I was thinking, too. But did you guys name the little guy next to him that he tries to get in on the fucking break, the breakaway? Where he's like, no. hey, come on, we, we got a chance now. Let's come on. The guy's like, er, er. <laughs> I was like, come on, Bippy, Bosco, let's go. <laughs> and they're like, oh, this is our life. Get the fuck come out of here. 
Come on, Slippy, to the left. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Maybe it's like half fish. It's like, hey, Gil, let's go. Come on. You got to win. Freedom. Let's go. I call him Twinkie because he's soft in the middle. Now you're talking. About the seer. Yeah, he's Twinkie. I actually found that very refreshing about the seer. It wasn't as if he was like talking down to the crawlers. You knew that that they were kind of beholden to him, but it seemed like he was always trying to bolster them through the Especially ritual. Especially once like he reveals himself and takes his his mask off and reveals himself to Judy, like, "Oh yeah, I'm your father," you know, and this is like, "I'm I'm here because I'm creating a, a, a society where these people are free and not beholden to innocent," you know. Uh, right. But yeah, I don't think he, you know, I, I think I think beholden is a good word they use there, Corey, you know, to describe them. It's just kind of like, well, you get like a couple of the other characters that that pop up here. Uh, uh, what was what was the the one lady that was like his his right hand woman, uh, Cornelia? Was that her name? Yeah, yeah, Cornelia, Cornelia. And, and the other little the little kid that had the the infant symbol on their forehead. Um, the the whole situation between Cornelia and the seer and Claude, the whole thing is very confusing. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's it very is. convoluted. That's what happens when you get bad writing. Because I was like, is this like an Morton Joe situation where the seer, where Claude is is um is Cornelia's daughter from the seer? And then later on, uh, Claude kind of becomes collateral damage. Or actually, it's a little more than collateral damage. It's like a sacrifice. Uh, But I always wondered if the reason why he nixed Claude is because Judy was there. And Claude was supposed to grow up into what he needed Judy to be. But then Claude was like extra material that he didn't know he no longer needed, and he used to feed the tribe. Well, if you noticed in that scene too that she was getting kind of jealous and pushy over her being there, and so he's like, kind of was like, Cor- I'm not but you're talking about Cornelius, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pretty much was like the Sears, like you know what? I'm not going to deal with this crap. <laughs> Industrial juicer. Oh God! That yeah, so he had that crazy. Um, it was like the conveyor belt machine that was going into this like weird. Okay, so was that supposed to be a mining machine that they just like uh, repurposed to be this weird grinding thing? Where man, I, don't know. I thought it was so it was so crazy that he had even set up the water fountain and the <laughs> right? water fountain and the tub oh, the is filling. I love that aspect. Yeah, that's one of the best scenes in the movie, man. The only thing it's missing is Ron Papil and his ugly ass sweater telling us how it works and how much to pay for it. <laughs> I couldn't help but watching that and thinking to myself, like, that's just how you get hepatitis. But then again, like everything in this movie is covered in crawling oh my like God. Type diseases. Uh speaking of parasites though, what about the fucked up because okay, so I'll be straight with you guys. We did kind of like a Jordan Peele marathon this weekend. And I hadn't seen Nope. Uh, And I remember thinking at the end of it all that Jordan Peele was throwing, kind of throwing darts at the wall. 
and just had like a bunch of ideas thrown around. Um, this whole thing with like the parasitic uh, leeches or eels, whatever you call them, like they didn't quite act like leeches. They sort of would like burrow. It was a little bit more like Night of the Creeps. Yeah, they yeah, they were like this slugs of some sort. Right, like these slugs that'd be like running all over this like shit stained water, and it would like. And at first, at first time it happened to Twinkie, right? He like stuck in his arm. He's like, ah! And then the guy like came over. Did he cut his arm off? Yeah, because he, cut he was his hand off because he, as he's walking away, like, the guy that kind of looks like a Morton Joe's nephew shows up and like <laughs> chops his arm off and walks away, just kind of chomping away at it like it's like finger food. No pun intended. So, like, and cut chops. It's not Twinkie because Twinkie was over there. So that's Bosco. So he comes over and cuts Bosco's arm off just because he's complaining about the fucking the slug being in it. But well, then it's not what not. I, I couldn't agree more. But when they have uh, Stover over a barrel there, and they put him down in that um, that little chamber, or I guess they just kind of like put that gate on top of me stuck in there, and the fucking the slugs are like totally entering him and they're talking about it's real wrath of Khan action where the female let me see if i get this right the female burrows in to lays the lay the eggs but then the male goes up to the brain to kind of pacify the brain and put you in like a little bit of a seizure like a delirium so yeah, the, yeah. so that's time to grow man i remember thinking wow that's out of fucking left field but I think that almost is, it was like, okay, we can't have Bruce Campbell in here without a little bit of like a Ash Evil Dead 2 freak out. If we can well, get it. I mean, it's, it's just Bruce's lot in life that could be covered in mud and blood and shit. I mean, it's just his, you know, I Sam Raimi prepared him for all this. If they could have switched out Sylvester Stallone in uh, First Blood Part 2 when he's like in that sludge pit, he comes out, it would have been Bruce Campbell as a stunt double. Because, I mean, like if Sam Raimi had anything to do with that. George Cosmatos just calls him up and said, hey, we need a guy to be in this fucking shit field. But speaking of shit fields, though, we can't forget that there is a perimeter of that area where you just kind of can't go into it. Oh, yeah, the death because zone. Because we'll just... The death... Did they call it the dead zone? The death zones, I think, is what it was death called. Zone? Okay. Yeah, death, yeah death zone, yeah. Where you just kind of, like, cross the borderline and all of a sudden you're just, like, puking your guts away. Yeah, poor poor Stover, man. He get he gets a he gets it bad in here. He gets it so bad, and like he would have been been all right if he just like hadn't tried to save Judy. If he left her alone, he probably would have made it. But then again, like was he even real? You know, just... there's a lot of questions. There's definitely a lot of questions because with that uh, that whole thing with the <sighs> correct me on this one. Didn't the seer only wear one Freddy glove of like the weird thorny looking fingers on one hand? I thought he just had it on his right hand. Okay, that's what I was thinking too. Do you think there's any sort of like purpose to that? I don't know. I, I thought it was like the way the, the, the little like needles or little spikes on his fingers were supposed to be some sort of weapon or something or something used to draw blood, but they never utilize it. It's just kind of there. They you know? kind of make him look creepy for the sake of being creepy. Yeah, yeah. 
I just think, I think that, it, that that it was a very. I think that could have been a very iconic villain. Yeah, I, I like a one shot deal. I think it could have gone on with that. I think if the writing would have been better, they could have utilized their sets and their uh, their um, props more. Just they needed the better writing. It needed to come together just a little bit more. The general premise was there, but the writing was not so hot. They they leaned into a lot of sci-fi tropes, unfortunately, to try to get it there. Well, I think the the script probably could have benefited from a re, uh, not a rewrite, but like a second draft. Yeah, it definitely could have used the second draft. Because at one point, like when Bruce is fighting with the crawlers and they're taking uh, Claude and Judy to the to the seer. You know, after Cornelia tries to infect her with the like leechy, sluggy type things, you oh, almost yeah. like she tries to make her into a crawler, sort of. Yeah, because she, she knows that you know the seer has plans for Judy, and he, you know, she's jealous. You know, and uh, but like it almost you expect him to, you know, Bruce to say at one point, he's like, "Hey, I fought deadites before, motherfuckers. You bitches ain't shit." Right. But you know, he doesn't quite go that far, and and you know, I swear to God. Like one one gripe is that Angus doesn't come into this film soon enough. Yeah, like I mean it's totally. I, I I mean he does not pop up into the film, and like you, you end up finding out that he's the you know the system operator in the beginning, but you're not like a privy to that information until the end. But like the first time you really see him face first, you know, or face front in this movie, it's almost an hour into the movie. And, you know, you barely got a half an hour left and you're finally getting to see your fucking, you know, bad guy, you know, your your main baddie. That's one thing that, like, really this movie suffers for is is that, like, yeah. it's just not, not enough Angus, not enough Angus. Do you, you know what the time like line was on that where, like, could it, because I was thinking his hair is pretty short in this. So I would think that he probably wasn't doing a Phantasm movie around this time. Uh, uh, so it's making me wonder what he was doing. I can tell you here. Just give me a second. Well, it was 91 when this came out, and I don't think any of the Phantasm movies came out, or at least any of the other ones. I know, like, Phantasm 2 was 1988, wasn't it? Yes. That's what I was thinking. And Lord and of the Dead 3 was 94. Like the okay, there you go. Uh, he was doing Subspecies. Um, oh, um, egg on Cameron's face. He should have known that for sure. He's a big subspecies guy. I should have known that. I should have guessed that. <laughs> um, see if he was doing anything else around the same time. Like that. I, mean, I think Phantasm Three was like what you said, ninety four, ninety five. Yeah, he did. Oh, so that that was around the time we were in Dillsboro. So that was about the '94 arena. '92 was, was Munchies. He was in Munchies. Yeah. Oh yeah. shit. I think Barbie he was Corman? in Munchie. I think he was in Munchies Part Two or Munchie Two, wasn't he? Yeah, or Munchie Strikes Back. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. That was but one yeah, that but... never really landed for me. I liked the first Munchie. First Munchie was fun. The other ones were just kind of. When, yes, when the ghoulies exist like munchy it just didn't i don't think it went far enough it was just kind of i don't know uh, it, was it was the maccabee of that <laughs> yeah well they were supposed to be the maccabee for that you had gremlins which was kind of for your teenage audience 
Then you had freaking Ghoulies, which was for your adult audience. And then you had Munchies, who was kind of for the kids. It's spooky, but it's family spooky. Yeah, I mean, it was PG or PG-13 at the at the worst. Yeah, I mean... But I mean, th- this one is most definitely gleefully R-rated, though. Yeah. Oh, it's well, so gory and so violent. Speaking of, like, like wh- what do you think the point was of him? Because he did actually use the uh his his claw like freddy hand fingers to to poke out um claude's eyes or was it no was it cornelia's um, eyes i was thinking that that was part of the ritual because i was going to ask you guys what you guys thought kind of like the framework of this religion is because you know it, you know what it could be just that it could be framework of religion you know uh if you, any of the like you read the bible and you read into where they're building the first temple and stuff, and they're talking about all these different kinds of jewelry and how it should be presented. And the, the tabernacle is supposed to be such and such a height and such and such a width, and all these other things. They go into great deal describing this into the Bible, and so you know it's it's probably just an adornment that he made for his religion <laughs> by whatever. It seemed like it was definitely part of it. Him. It didn't yeah, seem it, like it was random. They, I thought that it was definitely... That's another one of those points that they needed to kind of flesh out a little more. Take the scalpel to it and kind of fine detail. Flesh out? Oh, I see what you did there. Oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> because everybody's just sort of like drinking blood, right? That's their yeah. sustenance, is the blood that he provides in the tub and the... Blood whatever. and hepatitis. Yeah, well, you ain't going to get any water in the wasteland, so that's the closest thing you got is human sacrifice. But poor Claude, well, man. That's what I got to say, man. Poor fucking Claude. Which, you know what? Something else, something, else, well, something else about this that's kind of disturbing that they really don't go into great detail is that, well, they're cannibals. Do you know why they just grunt and fucking, Ugh. I don't know. Uh, because if you eat human brain, you actually end up getting a disease that makes you literally just kind of zombified that's what well, yeah it, it, it affects uh, it affects you on a molecular level yeah it, it, it fucks you up i do know that I'd like because they yeah. say the people that are like the the there was that family that lived in the scottish highlands that i can forget the name of that the tribe yeah the bean family yeah 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 that the, the the hills have eyes was kind of based on that's why they were so fucked up they were gen- well generations of inbreeding too doesn't help hurt right or didn't well, help. There, was that, there was that one famous reporter that went into the friggin the Amazon or someplace like that and was settling in with a tribe and this tribe happened to be cannibals and so he sat and ate human brain with him and he ended up freaking losing his shit completely makes me wonder so why that is. Have... I've never, never like studied up on that. I had heard about that, you know. Probably because you're not meant to eat other human beings. Well, yeah, yeah, but I'm like, what is it that happens? You know, like what, what is it that causes that? Because I know you're not, you're not meant to. You're not, you know, it's, it's a no, no. It's a social and uh, moral dilemma to, t- <laughs> to engage. I think it has that. something to do with an overdose of that adrenaline. The adrenochrome uh, stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, too much, too much. Uh, with the with the crawlers, though, do you think that 
the crawlers are all Invisa Infinisynth rejects? Or do you think that because it seems like a lot of those guys they don't seem like they're all middle aged and whatnot. They all seem like they're pretty hale and hearty. So you you would think that either they're somehow because I would think especially if she's trying to change her if there's a method with which you can change a person into a crawler like she was trying to do with this infectious stuff or whatever, you would think that they would almost have to be a really decent contingent of people who were whole and sane that became, or were at least like one side of the progenitor of, of these people uh, throughout everything, because everybody's not going to last forever, especially in these like, waste-soaked fucking eel slug infested places like they're just drinking out of shit that's been drunk out of the last whatever like it's nothing is even close to sanitary so yeah you would, you would think that they're gonna have to get new material to make these fucking crawlers out of so he has you know an army of to do you know just to do his just kind of worship him and his ways Maybe they're biological rejects of the infosynth uh, system going haywire and causing some kind of cerebral cortex damage or something along those lines. Damn, I think you might well, have fucking nailed it there. I mean, it's more sense than anything I was coming up with, I'm telling you. Uh, okay, but, but by that rationale also, though, here's another question. When, okay, so there's like a showdown. And <laughs> it's so fucking crazy. Okay, so let me make sure I'm getting this timeline right. So Claude gets sacrificed. Yeah. And then Judy preceded by the best line of the movie when he says, Oh dear, no one here has ever suffered before. Like that's just the best fucking line. Right. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No one here has ever suffered before. But yeah, after after Claude gets uh Grant, and Cornelius watches on in horror. And then drinks the blood. Right. And then drinks it. But a little bit under duress, though, right? She yeah. wasn't... She was kind of forced to. Yeah. So then... But at this moment, during this is happening, uh, Stover is under the water, and he's being impregnated by the fucking eggs, and he's in his little stupor. Not right? at this point, though, yet. It wasn't at this point because it, it, when they kill Claude, he's uh, infiltrated the the crawlers and he takes out a couple of the crawlers and tries to save Judy before the seer takes Judy away. Then the seer uh, or Angus takes and p- puts uh, Stover into that that cage. That okay, so about this point is when Sto- uh, about this point is when the seer is kind of having the. Uh, the Emperor Anakin talk with Judy, where she, where he's kind of like, we can be, you know, this can proceed with father and daughter, you know, keeping this this society the way it was. He, but he wasn't trying to. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but it's okay. That was my wife <laughs> screaming in pain because the cat decided to crawl up on her shoulder. And oh my god. Boost. Uh, was his end goal to take his hordes and infiltrate like inland or whatever or whatever they called the 
the dreamer oh, in world in world in world was he trying to like stage a siege on in world i think he may have been like i said this is you kind of have to really pick and draw conclusions from this because it's so convoluted with the writing that they don't really i mean they kind of lay it out there for you but there's a lot of things that they skim over that are kind of important it's not so much that it doesn't do things well is it doesn't give you enough like i do, i just wanted more i wanted to know more of the story i wanted to know more of you know the motivations of the seer you know and, and well, things that's like where that your, that's where your rules of lore and lexicon come in yep yeah because i think we were just starting we were getting ready to talk about uh, the fight between stover and the seer yes which is like okay that's a good that's a good jumping off point let's let's face it here we got we got the the fighter the fighter of all the evil dead of all the deadites we got ash versus the tall man in a sword fight whoever thought that up deserves at least some accolades for writing that shit because we got <laughs> like the tall man versus ash in a sword fight like that's it's the closest brilliant. thing we're going to get to ash versus the tall man which we almost had at one point there was a, when they were planning a Phantasm 1999, there was a, a, a time when they were going to be making that movie and Bruce Campbell was going to be in it. Oh my god. That'd have been but, epic. But yeah, fucking, I mean, like, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think the most weirdest part of this movie is the incestuous part of Angus. Seeing somebody as regal as Angus was playing that part, like I mean, there's no rape scene, there's no actual incest scene, but it he leads into it. And he leans into it hard. If she, if uh, Judy hadn't drop kicked him in the balls, I think he totally would have went for it. And she was totally playing it as if she was like on board to kind of like play him out and stall for time. But then when he started talking about that shit, that, that's all over. Well, I think uh, she's like, she's like, oh. There are two characters go ahead, go ahead, sorry. that I there are two people in this world that like when it comes down to villainy in movies that I have a high respect for. One is Angus Grimm because the man plays he doesn't play creepy and he doesn't play evil. He plays fucking unnerving. The tall man is unnerving and scary because he doesn't yell. He doesn't move very fast. He's very slow. He's very methodical. He's very one tone in his voice, except for when he's like really coming after you. And then it's the whole. Yeah. I mean that, or maybe like when he's being hurt, you know, that's really about it. But yeah, but that's about it. He's for the most part, a very unnerving character. And the other one is Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland plays such a great villain because there's the over-the-top, yelling, screaming, insane villain, and then there's the cool, calm, rash, talks to you like he's talking to a child villain. Well, that's the type of villain I like, because they play it off as if they're the sanest person in the room. Yeah. Those are the villains that I go in for. Phone booth. Underrated. Phone booth, yes. Phone booth is one of my all-time favorite fucking Kiefer Sutherland movies, just for that whole fuck. Don't do this to me, Stu. You're bringing back my unhappy childhood. My sated mother used to do this to me, Stu. Stu, talk to me, please. 
<laughs> I think that this, uh, phone booth I had is, a very great childhood. Phone booth is one of the closest. It's one of the modern Hitchcockian films. I feel it really. It, I think that that movie is brilliant, and it's freaking so many people pan that movie. Oh, it's such crap! Like, are you fucking kidding? That is Hitchcock level. Yeah, and I mean, wasn't Kiefer, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland? Was, did Sutherland did he end up doing that uncredited? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I thought so. I haven't watched that movie in years. Yeah, it's good Such stuff, man. Movie. It is, isn't um, no oh, shit. The the last King of Scotland in there. Um, oh, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. No, 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 no. Uh, the guy he played Edie Amin. He was in uh, Color of Money. He's got kind of like a lazy eye on one side. He was he played oh, in he's the Star Wars. Horse Whitaker. Horse Whitaker. Yeah. Wasn't he the cop in that? Uh, hold on. Shit, I don't. Yes, remember. yes, yes, he was. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I I remember thinking it had like an insane impact on me because when you can get a guy, and I think that um, Hugo Weaving, Weaving is another one. Hugo Weaving is another where actor you I don't have a lot of respect his, for. You don't have to see their face. All you have to do is hear their voice, and their voice is more than enough. Oh yeah, V for Vendetta, and, perfect example. Oh yeah, uh, and you know if you, I mean, I think that you might see like a silhouette a couple times of Kiefer, but mostly he's in the shadows. And for his, and for that to be such a fantastic performance without having any facial uh, recognition in that movie is just. Yeah, yeah. I think agreed. he's underutilized. I think that um, still to this day, I think that oh my gosh, is his name David? I, I always get those two mixed up. In the Lost Boys, I always get oh, David, David. Yeah. And who was uh, who was uh, Jason Patrick? What was his name? Michael. I, hey, okay, yeah, so it's, Michael. It's, like, it's like the angel's name, sort of, right? Like David and Goliath, and, and it's like the biblical stuff. But speaking of biblical stuff. I don't know about you guys. This is going to sound really crass, but I've been noticing lately that I have, I think that some people say like they think when they're on walks, some people say they think they're in the shower. And I think when I'm in the shower a whole lot, but I think that I don't have, I think it's the quickest, deepest, pithiest thoughts at the urinal. When I was at the <laughs> urinal, something occurred to me about this family in this movie. Did you guys realize that her last name is Apple? Yeah, yeah. I did catch that. So yeah, well, I was like the computer port technology. Like, I was thinking about, well, you know what? That didn't even occur to me. That that just shows like where my head is at. My that that technology thing didn't occur to me. What occurred to me was the fruit of the tree of knowledge. Because if they're in this paradise, you could say that it's an Eden that they're plugging into. So if her last name is Apple. Then it could be like the whole out of Eden story, the exit from Eden. It could where be. Where she's getting kicked out. You, you know and what? Then that's was, a really good. That's a really good thought on that. Now that I'm looking back at, you know, it, it could be a metaphor. It didn't even occur to me until now, especially since um, if you think of his, because his name is Theodore Apple, 
the seer. His name is Theodore. And Theo, I mean, that's God. That that prefix to that name right there is God. So like there's a lot of shit going on. And they're like, there's Saint Jude. Jude was an apostle for Judy. Like there, I I don't think it's an accident. And I hadn't it, even thought it, about it until until you now. could be on to something there. Yeah, I didn't even consider that until you said it, Corey. I didn't even yeah, think of that. That's why I like our little talks that together, because we take these movies and we fucking overanalyze the shit out of them. And meanwhile, the fucking guy who fucking made the movie is just like, yeah, I just had bad writing and threw this shit together. Yeah, I was <laughs> what those guys are saying. Van Gorian threw his money at me. I said, Angus Brim, Bruce Campbell, fuck it. I'm selling the pawn shop. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know what I, I found out a bit of trivia as I was looking over the uh, the cast list as, as we were on our little sabbatical for a moment. The actress uh, that played Claude, this was her only movie. Never did anything before. Never did anything after it. Starred for life. <laughs> she was like, yeah, I got covered in mud, blood and shit and got my eyeball gouged out and got ground up into hamburger meat. She's like, this the acting thing just ain't for me. But if you think about it, guys, that was like, that was a major deal that Clog ended up getting it. Yeah. I, I thought that was, that was heavy as fuck, man. I mean, they, it could have happened that, that Judy said no, or, or Claudia, or, um, Claudia, Cornelia jumps in instead or something like it was pretty wild that they went the distance on that. And also, you know, how we were talking about like inspiration here and there, inspiration here and there. I got a lot of Temple of Doom out of, uh, out of what was he, what did he have for like the spigot that he was feeding her blood out of? Wasn't it a, a water fountain spigot? I think. I think it was. It, or I, I thought that he had some kind of a vessel, and he fed her out of that. Oh, it was like some sort of skull goblet. Yeah, okay. it was, he was. He was drinking the wine that he makes from the skull of his enemies, literally. Yeah, well, I, got, I got a lot of Temple of Doom out of that because that's also sort of she's taking a sacrament like this is a communion and this is her child so there's there's a little bit of abraham there too yeah because like she didn't even fight back all that much like she kind of like went with it well she definitely leaned into it you know who leaned into something cornelia onto those spikes on that wall she got it. <laughs> yeah she did she got the hook in the back of the neck back in her back you know kind of uh pam style and uh you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then just gets sent careening back through that room until she gets impaled. Yeah. Like, the, difference is, <laughs> the difference is is that in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, no blood. In this yeah. movie, lots of blood. Oh, lots <laughs> of blood. Oh, man. But poor fucking... Everybody in this movie that gets it, gets it bad. Like, poor Stover. Like, he gets it bad. He starts going a little crazy because of all the... the those slugs that are in him but when he tries to save judy he just fucking tears shit out of every one of those crawlers man he fucking rebounds back this is kind of where he goes into ash mode just for a little bit yeah 
you know, or at least into hero mode, you know, where he fights off, uh, I almost said beats off, but <laughs> he beats off Angus. <laughs> That'd have been a hell of a weird ending. Ignore <laughs> <laughs> my mind's at, fellas. But yep. the, the one point where the effects totally do not work is where they get to the, uh, they're getting to the death zone. I think that's what they called it, right? Yeah. When, the death, when they, when they escape or something like that. Yeah, when, once they, you know, they send Angus the seer down into the, the grinder and he gets ground up head first. Uh, it, it's just like that shot where he, where Stover barfs up all that blood and all those, like, slugs all Slug over Judy. It Larvae. looks really... Larva, yeah. It just looks really bad. It was like, they, they should have cut that shot just entirely. That, that insert did, did not. They, didn't they sort of have like a filter too? It wasn't like it wasn't quite. It wasn't like the entire shot like in a different color sort of. Am I remembering that right? No, oh, I can't remember if it was or not. I don't know, but you know what they could have done, man. I mean, it's proof that they could have made that look better. All they really needed was green food coloring, fucking tapioca pudding, and a hose with a pressure fucking pump put to it. They did it in The Exorcist. They could have <laughs> shot it just like that too. But it came out 100% better. Practical effects, man. But I, you know, I, I know we talked a little bit about how this movie kind of starts to fall apart a little bit towards the end, this last half hour. But I love it when the, the crawlers all, like, partake of, like, drinking up the <laughs> the seer's blood. And, like, they're just like, well, he's gone. Like, well, and, they don't have any brain activity. They're all fucking... They're based on routine, and they're fucking cattle. They're herded in. They're, they they go down there. They do their job. They pick through the garbage and figure what they can use for scraps. And then they go and they drink and they poop and they get up and they do it all over again, kind of like <laughs> us, except they have no cognizance. Right. Well, we can't forget. We're we're almost forgetting something though. There is the moment where it's like the king is dead. Long live the king. Where he where Stover takes the fucking. Uh, the head mask. Oh, yeah. and he puts it over Judy's head. I thought he put it on his own head. No, he puts it on Judy's. Yeah. He wants her to take over. See, huh. that's where I kind of wonder if, like, what you were saying way towards the beginning of the show, uh, was that, like, it was all Judy's projection that Stover was, like, a projection of the younger version of her father. I kind of wonder if that was kind of laying the groundwork of that. I don't know. It's don't it's, know. it's definitely it's where the convolution comes in. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to follow because they don't flesh enough out. They got a good they got a good model, but they didn't flesh out any detail. It feels like maybe there was just some stuff that they cut out for continuity or for timing and uh Yeah, it could have been that might have somebody that didn't know how to edit a movie could have fucking chopped this shit all to hell and Fangora's like, well, fuck. We gotta put something. We'll never see that special edition. Blu-ray. Yeah. No, no, no. We'll never see that. The, the, there will be no uh, director's cut of this movie. <laughs> we will not get a commentary featuring the cast. No. Bruce, can you give us a commentary on Mind Warp? Sure! Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say. Fuck off. <laughs> far, far away. Fuck off. Uh, I just love the twist at the end when, like, when he... 
lifts his head up after you think he's dead and he's like we can't leave we belong here it's like mm, nope 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 don't think so nope <laughs> <laughs> wait a second bruce did that yeah i'm starting to wonder if i saw a different version than you guys i don't remember that part at all it was right right before or right after he like barfs the gross larva all over judy right before she runs like right into the to the uh the the crucifix the, the the big cross with Bruce is hanging off of it and she knocks herself out and then she looks up and sees Bruce talking to her and then she's back in Infinicent land or in world or wherever you want to call it. Was that not in your version? I don't remember. He was hanging on the cross too? Yeah, for like a couple of seconds. Yeah, I don't remember that. I remember him doing that with the slugs and then I remember her waking up. Yeah, because she turns, but, she she runs away, she runs into the the, the cross, knocks herself half ass out, you know, almost all the way out, and then looks up, sees Bruce on the cross talking to her for like a second, and then it cuts to Infinicent land. So when you say Infinicent land, you mean like kind of like the uh, the system operator? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where the, the lasers and shit. Yeah, where the lasers are shining all over the place, and he finally takes that dome off his head and it reveals that this, you know, that the system operator was the seer or the same person. Okay. So yeah. there's, this is where, like you said, we're kind of like the convoluted and it seemed like the, the ending was just sort of slapdash or whatever. This was a part that was very confusing. I think that, that, this movie teetered on a bunch of precipice where it's like, okay, we don't want to hand it to you. We want there to be a lot of conjecture because we don't really have an ending. That's really super solid. We, we would like for people to can have a bunch of conjecture about what actually happened, what was real, what wasn't, what was in her mind, what was in his mind, what was, you know, happening in front of us. I, I remember thinking at the time that's like, okay, is this like the snake eating its own tail? Because it's like, where does the fantasy begin? Did it begin the first time she jacked in and like arguing with her mom, throwing the shit against the wall and then her mom dying? Because like when she comes back, she comes back right into the cis ops lair. She doesn't right, go back right. to the yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't go back there quite yet. She has the conversation with Angus where he basically tells her, you know, I, I'm getting old. You know, I need you to take over for me. And this was, I guess, essentially Which make, a me, test. That to me, there is no logic whatsoever to that. I, I like the idea of her kind of taking over. But him saying, you know, the reason why I put you through this test, which is to say the test of you going over here and having sex with this man who might be a younger version of me. And then me drinking blood in a, in this, you know, this, this satanic sacrament with a, with flesh on my face and I'm leading these crawlers and they're drinking out of a bathtub. And then I, you know, I, I have this surrogate wife and the surrogate daughter, and then you come along and I decide that, you're a better stock, so I want to fuck you and have children with you. Like, that was just a test to make sure you could take over my position. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> if, he, if he would have said something like, the test was, 
to make sure that your mind was capable of withstanding all of the weird desires, fetishes, evil intentions, pleasures, and uh, fantasies of the entire rest of the sur survivors of this apocalypse. Every little piece that, that could have torn your mind apart. But since they didn't, then you deserve to take my place as I'm aging. If he would have said something like that, that would have made more sense. But maybe that's just him not going into great detail as to what he meant that, that the test was. But I think, I that's think that would have like, been a much better way of describing oh, it. Oh, Corey, been you just fucking plucked another image into my mind here. All right, let me okay. run this by you guys. All right. Now, at the beginning of the movie... What's the first thing we see? It's her talking to an unembodied voice about how she's dissatisfied. The fucking the seer. I actually forgot about all that. this. Yes. All this crazy shit happens. End of the movie. We're back to the seer who then, you know, informs her that, hey, you're going to have to take over and do this stuff. When she goes back into the system. Is it glitched out? and She's forever stuck in this fucking dystopian loop oh yeah well now that you say that because I, I think this was on my mind at one point where i thought has she been lobotomized where like because if she's the fucking seer now or the over or the uh, sysop why would she go back to her life wouldn't she be living everyone's lives yeah that's, that's so, the thing that's confusing about this ending man so maybe you're right. Maybe uh, maybe she's caught in this loop. Because then there's also, because to get straight to the ending, as the true ending is, and I, I had mentioned the black cylinder before, there was a black cylinder on this window, windowsill, that she treats with as much disdain as, oh, I almost forgot. There's a fucking Roomba. There's like a vacuum robot. That's kind of yeah. running around. She's like, why is this bothering me? I hate the future. She fucking like lifts it up and throws it. Yeah. Just like this, she did her fucking. But the, her another segue question. Like, did this movie actually predict the future of Roombas? No. Absolutely. Absolutely not. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you something about this. Is, this is how fucking technology has held back from us for so long. They had oh, self-cleaning, freaking robotic vacuum cleaners in the early '60s. They were prototyping them back then. Oh no! They shit. were these. Yeah, they were oh, these no. big. Okay. I, they looked kind of like a bread box, with a fucking uh, with a flap that fell down, kind of like a dustpan. Somehow they were chilled by Kirk Douglas instead of George Lucas. I don't know how the fuck that happened. <laughs> but yeah, most they most definitely had those in this. They were prototyping them in the sixties. Same thing with you know like the uh, people today are like, oh, you know, our military would go over there and stomp people because of the military technology that you have. You know, you have you ever seen an F sixteen? Have you ever seen an M sixteen? You ever seen this this this? It's like, dude, you realize that they're not going to be fighting with this shit. That's shit that you see on TV. That's that's TV, that's propaganda, that's old fucking weaponry. Future weapons? Watch that fucking show. Because that's the shit that they're developing. Do you think that we're not going to get into a land war, that we're not using future weapons already? Get right. the fuck out of here. 
Now, I got a question. Did anybody else get kind of lawnmower man vibes by the ending of this movie? A little bit. Now, did this predate? Uh, Lawnmower Man? Uh, I think Lawnmower Man came out in 92. Uh, yeah, yeah I think yeah, you. in 92 or 93, but I couldn't <laughs> remember to be. Exact. I'll tell you here in one second. One one thing I didn't want to get away from is that she fucking kicks the cylinder around at the beginning, and then you see it again at the end, and they're really lingering on the epitaph, and it proves to be her dad's fucking cremation cremation urn. That's what I got from it. He was okay. cremated inside that thing. Lawnmower Man. The original story was written in 1975. It was a short story by Stephen King. However, the movie adaptation didn't come out until 1992. Ah, oh, okay. So they could have referenced some things from the book and took it that way, or it could just be a coincidence. What is not a coincidence is Lawnmower Man 2. Ooh, bad graphics. Bad <laughs> graphics. Did you see it as Job's War or Beyond Cyberspace? Uh, I saw it as Job's War, I believe. I saw it as Whichever Job's the, War. The, the, first, the first one, whatever it was named first. All I know when is it first this. Came out. If, if you're sitting in the casting room and you're like, huh, do we pay the extra 500 bucks to get Jeff Fahey back? Or uh, how about Matt Frewer? What's he doing? <laughs> Well, the Mac, the Max Headroom money had dried up by then, so they they probably were able to get Max Matt Fru- like, Frewer. I tell you what, you see this guy with a cigar. Like I tell you what, I can get Matt Frewer in here with a box of cold spaghetti and, uh, and a flashlight. Don't worry, I can get him in here. You see that jaw? You see them neck bones? He's hungry, buddy. Hungry. <laughs> it's like we could get him for a two. Sherlock Holmes things he's doing. He don't even care. Watchmen is still 30 years away. He fucking doesn't even know about that yet. It's the future. I got a crystal ball. Don't even worry about it. But hey, don't worry. I get my point at two fucking seconds. Patrick Bergen, he made no fucking money. I was sleeping with the enemy. He didn't even fuck her. It's, it's not that he can get him in like two seconds. We still got that. Uh, we still got that set from uh, the Renegade version of Highlander Two: The Quickening. We'll oh, use God. that. Don't worry, it's all good. <laughs> now oh, I, I got, I got to mention one thing before I forget it. The fucking uh, when they you see the urn, it's got Angus's uh, ashes in it, and it says you know his name was Theodore Theodore Apple. I wrote it down that he was born in 1991, supposedly died in 2037 when the movie t- takes place. So that means he was 46. Get the fuck out of here. That's my goddamn age. Yeah. Like, that's a year younger than me, for fuck's right, sake. Get out of here, man. That's not, he is not 46. <laughs> Angus Grimm hasn't been 46, 46 years ago. <laughs> he right. was 46 when he was two. He was seven. <laughs> He's one of those guys, he was born looking 35, for fuck's sake. Did you guys see that, uh, um, oh shit, I can't remember what it's called now. Did you watch that uh, Coscarelli movie where he plays uh, the dad of the, uh, shit, the guy who's on Trapper John MD? And it was that one guy, it was like Charlie and Company or something. And he's like oh, taking care of his company. Kenny and Company. Did you ever watch that? Yeah, I watched that. It's weird as hell. 
it is weird as hell seeing Angus Scrim just playing like an alcoholic father. That is weird as fuck. He's got black hair. It's a fever dream watching that movie. <laughs> Much more than mine. Now, yeah. I got to look it up to see how old Angus was when he made this movie. So bear with me, folks, while well, I look this up. Take, it seems like they really focused in on seeing his name on the urn. What is that supposed to be telling us? Because I could have sworn that her mom almost acted like he had disappeared. Because she yeah. acted like, well, he, you know, he was real sad towards the end there, and she almost acted like she didn't know what the fuck happened, like he had disappeared. And then when she acted like that, I was thinking, did he just up, like, you know, i.e. lawnmower man yet again, did he upload himself into the thing, and that's why he's gone? But then when they show that urn, it's like, did we see some kind of secret history? Like, dude, oh my God, I just had an epiphany. What if that whole bullshit that she saw was a metaphorical re- reliving of her entire uh, relationship with her dad? Ooh, it's all metaphorical. All, it, it, you can really draw your own conclusion to this thing. And maybe that's why they made this movie so convoluted. That's why it's such a mind warp. It's such a mind I know, warp because oh, you don't shit. know. But I think that might be helping for that. I think they're like, okay, we're going to make this ending not just ambiguous, but confusing as fuck. So everybody's going to draw their own conclusions all over the place. So we don't have to. We don't have, we won't right, ask any questions. Right. This is going straight to the Ukraine. Like, nobody knows what the fuck's going on. Nobody cares. But like, Bruce Campbell's already moved on. He's doing fucking fear, or not fear factor. I almost said burn notice. Um, this movie was actually called the epitome of straight to VHS 90s era. <laughs> I was thinking of like what the title should have. I think it'd be a fun little contest. What do you guys think the title should have been? Definitely not Brain Slasher. A total ripoff. Uh, what about blood? <laughs> what about like blood and circuits? Bloody blood and circuits would have been good. Yeah. I can see that. I would have worked. Blood and circuits. Bloody circuits. Bloody circuits, yeah. Something. I mean, because Brain Slasher is slightly closer than Mind Warp, because it almost seems like with Mind Warp, like she'd have gone to the apocalyptic part, but then she kind of like fights her way out, and then she ends up at another type of part. <laughs> I just did the like, math, Cameron. You just did what? I just did the math. He wouldn't know how old Angus Scrim was when he made this movie. He was sixty-five. He was sixty. <laughs> They're trying to pass him off as forty-six. He, he was born in nineteen twenty-six. Come on. But he was so stately, man. He was so stately in this. Oh yeah, I he was. Closest, I think the closest he came to being as stately as this was in uh, "I Sell the Dead." I Sell the Dead. That was a good. Movie. You know what he would have been really perfect for? The fucking political villain. Angus Scrim playing oh, yeah. political villain would have been. Fucking top notch. Can you imagine Angus Grimm playing? Did you guys ever see a? Uh, I think it was like Star Trek Seven, The Undiscovered Country. Yeah, no, yeah, I wasn't yeah. a Trekkie. There was a a real political bent to that. He would have made, although, but you had Kurtwood Smith. I wouldn't replace that guy. And, uh, yeah, there he, again, there's there's Fortress again. Kurtwood Smith, political cyborg yeah. in that. Yeah. 
Yeah, we got to do okay. fortress at some that point. clinches it, dude. We got to do fortress. We, we yeah. have to at some point. I mean, I'm down for it. I love me some Christopher Lambert. And hey, hey, hey. It's got Vernon Wells, Jeffrey Combs. Oh, I'm, I'm down. DJ, yeah. bitch. Oh. Love me some fortress. Uh, not okay, so, so much fortress too. Not so no, much fortress, fortress two. Didn't even bother. Yeah, it wasn't that great. It is bother. okay. You would know, Cameron. Has Jeffrey Combs and Bruce Campbell ever played brothers in anything? No. Because that's my dream. I uh, I don't think they've ever even been in anything together. Oh man, what a wasted opportunity. Because uh, I'd have to say, if you ever seen Necronomicon, he's definitely, I think they based his makeup in that on Bruce Campbell. Oh, Jeffrey Combs? Yeah, oh, yeah. totally. The chin. But, uh, but, so what do you guys think? Do you think that since they showed, because even though I think that it was probably just letting us know that the cylinder was his ashes all along, there doesn't seem to be much importance in that unless there's something that we're supposed to be if there's an answer to that, where they're yeah, showing could, us that. Could be a MacGuffin. That's what I kind of thought it was. That it was this planted there to go, hmm, was it all a dream? Was she, you know, locked into her own mind? Or maybe this was her innocent hell? Oh, so you're saying that he couldn't really be the system operator if his ashes are right here. Yeah, that's that what I was uh, thinking. You know what, something else? Other thought. Again, with the whole glitch in the system thing, maybe her entering her mom's dream fucked everything up. Oh, well, it did. It certainly oh, did in the, in the first iteration they had of that because she fucking killed her mom for fuck's well, sake. Well, that's Hold the up, system, guys. system going what through the trauma. Stover, Stover could be the guy that her mom had a fucking affair with and uh him trying to maybe him talking about having babies with judy she's act, he's actually talking to her mom so she's got some of her mom's memories there it's and a, what he's talking is actually making judy i don't know us three it's just us the three sitting here talking this all out makes this a better movie <laughs> <laughs> than it actually is yeah, or we're, uh, we're put a lot more thought into it, just the three of us, than any of the screenwriters did. That's for sure. I mean, yeah. What if you could also say that uh, Cornelia and Claude aren't Theodore's surrogate wife and child? They're actually stand-ins for his actual wife and child. So him throwing Claude to the fucking whatever is him uh, neglecting the daughter in the ravages of actually using the infinicent thing instead of paying attention to her. And him taking her eye meant that she only had, like, she had a limited view of the world around her. Ah. I had never considered that for this. motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's midnight. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, it's, it's one to midnight out here. Yeah, but I have to say, man, uh, in the end, there are way more questions than there are answers. Yeah. Which it, isn't, it's much it's it, much like a Phantasm movie in that respect. It, it poses a lot more questions than it gives you any kind of answers. 
I'm not so sure it's in a good way. And Phantasm, it's I I like that Phantasm allows you to sort of like uh like go through conjectural things. But with this, it's kind of like when the questions are about the actual framework of, of sort of like cause and effect, that's when things break down. If the questions are about implication, you can have that dreamlike logic. If it's about implication, if it's about the framework of everything that's going on around you, that makes it a little bit more difficult to swallow, unfortunately. Right, right. Yeah, I wasn't saying it was on the same level as Phantasm, just kind of in that vein of posing more uh, questions. I'm saying that you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would never do that. I would never do that. No. But, but I, I, you know, I do, I am not sorry uh, that I watched it. That's for sure. But I guess that's for, that's for later. Yeah, ne- neither am I. I'm not. I'm not sorry that we revisited it, and I got to thank you, uh, Eric, for suggesting it because it was not on my radar. I had a list <laughs> of a good twenty, twenty-five movies, and it, like I hadn't thought of this movie in years. Right. I'm glad well, that's what I'm here for to to shoot the obscure. <laughs> well, fellas, do you think we ought to uh, break down and give our final thoughts and ratings on this motherfucker? I definitely think we've taken this as far as we can probably take it. <laughs> At least without, like, you know, the desert and or mushrooms, something like that. Maybe that. Maybe another time. Maybe another time when it's not midnight. I ain't taking mushrooms at midnight. Not doing yeah, that again. Dude, I'm already fat and beardy, man. I don't want to be another step closer to Jim Morrison. <laughs> we would definitely be puking up slugs. I know that. Definitely, definitely. Well, I'd say since it was uh, your pick, Eric, why don't you go ahead and take first uh, stab at this and give us your final thoughts and rating on a scale from 1 to 10. Okay, final thoughts. Well, like I said, anytime I see a freaking actor that I have a lot of respect and admiration for, Bruce Campbell, Kiefer Sutherland, Angus Scram, people like that, I'm all in I'm going to watch it. I don't care if it's a steaming hot turd. I'll watch it just for their performance. And, you know, 90% of the time it's not worth it, but that performance makes it watchable. I'll always enjoy a Bruce Campbell performance. I'll always enjoy an English Grimm performance. I'll always enjoy a Keeper Sutherland performance. That being said, this movie leans way too hard on tropes guffin it's convoluted it doesn't you know it leaves you with more questions than it does answers there's a lot of clear freaking we're taking this from mad max we're taking this from you know total uh recall that just came out and they tried to mishmash it and make it their own thing with some horror you know million dollar budget the effects are there the actors angus scram and bruce campbell they're there but the rest of the movie falls short. The writing is just bad. I mean, they had somewhat of a premise for a storyline. But again, like I said, the body is there, but the details are gone. You've got a mannequin standing there when you should have a model. You know, people are coming into this. When I see Bruce Campbell and I see Angus Scram on a billing, I expect Michelangelo's David, not fucking department store mannequin. flush that shit out make it have detail again lexicon and lore big things 
if you don't have lore to your to your world that you're creating, you're not going to have any history. You're not going to have any uh, meat for the bones. It's just kind of there. You know, you're not giving your audience something to chew on. <sighs> what? What? I mean, I'm trying not to bash this movie because it's decent, but it's at the end of the day, it's coming in at a four. Ooh, shots fired, man! It's coming. It's good. It's good, but it needs more. It needs more. They should have took more time with it. They shouldn't have put it out. So I wouldn't say rushed, but more just. Not so haphazardly. It feels unfinished. It feels like a project that was started. Totally agree. Totally agree. They ran over time and was just like, uh. Slap it together and see what we got. So, yeah, at the end of the day, it's going to be a four. Four out of ten. All right. All right. That's fair. That's fair. And, Corey, what about you, sir? Well, I think I'm going to go a little higher because it was such – I found it to be a pleasant surprise. Even with everything he said, I totally agree. I couldn't agree more with everything that he said. But coming to it like I did, like as a complete surprise – First time I ever heard of it, didn't know that it existed, and I just jumped straight into it, like without preamble at all. Um, and also, when you have, because there are great actors, and if they're sidled with bad writing and bad direction, they can suck too. There, there's no doubt about it. They cannot be good just due to the actor or the director and the writer that they're dealing with. It just so happens that. Bruce Campbell and Angus Scrim elevated this thing. Like them being in it elevated it. Agreed. So like that was almost, yeah. I would say that, that that's like three points on its own easily, maybe even four. I think that kind of like piggybacking on what he was saying, something occurred to me while we were talking about this that I hadn't really thought of before, but it totally goes along with what he was saying, which is the part of the movie that I felt that was the most realized was everything that happened when she wasn't plugged in. So I almost think that if you would have spent more time on in-world and made it at least, if you're going to spend two-thirds of the movie in out-world, in-world needs to to have a beating heart. I think it would have been good if she would have had a friend and, and you could have seen outside of their room as to how everyone else was taking this world. And she could even like, you know, instead of her, you know, feckless mother who's so plugged in that she couldn't even give a fuck, it'd be good if she had a friend to bounce things off of and kind of like go through the pros and cons and the risks and the rewards. And she and she has and we kind of see how everybody's living. The people who are enjoying it, the people who are flourishing in it, how big this thing really was. I think that the parts that they scrimped the most on was the in-world stuff. And I think that it was much less realized. And I think that if it had been realized, it may have intrinsically uh, allowed for more story that would have put, it, put us in a better place as to at least understand what the options as to what would have happened could be. And I think that when you have somebody like Judy, I was actually trying to think about who could have fallen into place, even though we've had talks about this before, but the girl from uh, Near Dark, 
it kind of makes oh, me yeah. wonder how how she would have fared in something like this. Uh, if if that would have made not necessarily her, but like if there would have been someone you know who she just she just did not she did not pass muster. I'm not saying that she was horrible, but she just wasn't all there. But when things got to, I think once everything got to the deserts and the subterranean stuff and the seer's religion and his power and all the, all those effects, I think once it got there, that's when everything really started rolling is when, when it left their little chamber, there should have been a, it's, I don't know. I just think that that, that might be a big piece of the problem is that uh, we knew it was a, a fan. I mean, like it would have been great to have seen Judy in her own fantasy land. And then she just starts tearing it down around her rather than just like seeing her in the void bitching the whole time. It would have been good right, to see what right, her dreams were right. because then you could have used those dreams as like a counterpoint to what happens later. And you might see like recurring, uh, it's slipping my mind right now, but it would almost be a thing where you would see some element in her fantasy that she's trying so hard to, to enjoy, but then you see it reoccur later on and you might be able to make a connection, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> make it out with Angus Grimm and it's actually her like professor or something like if Angus Grimm wasn't what her dad looked like. You know, it right, was actually right. her teacher, something like that. But uh, I think when you have Angus in there, you have Bruce in there. And in my opinion, I think they were doing really great work. I think it was some of Bruce's best work. Uh, whereas, you know, with Angus, when Angus walks in, there's very little that he has to do to command the, the, the room. So, like, he's already got it. But Bruce Campbell was doing a lot a lot of different things that he was going out of his normal shtick. Cause even in stuff like crime wave, he's still, he's doing the Bruce Campbell thing. I mean, I think maniac cop, like maybe that's a little bit of a departure, but he was still like a wide eyed fucking, you know, deer in the headlines in that movie. So it's like, This whole thing, it's, I think we're giving this a lot, a lot of credit that it's never gotten before. A lot of analysis has never gotten before. Um, I think there's, there could have been a lot that could have been done with this. If the, if someone had gone through with a polish uh, on the writing and I can't, I can't quite think of a good screenwriter that would, or maybe like a Steven D'Souza or something come in and do like a, he never would have gotten near it. Because he's like a Joel Silver guy, I think. But if somebody going to come in and done a polish, you keep Can B, you keep Bruce and Angus, and you get rid of Judy. Um, I think it could have been a powerhouse in video rental. Uh, but not so much as it is. Like Eric said, I think that it's an incomplete work. I think that you could go in and 
like the three of us could go in and make additions and edit on a screenplay and it'd be better just on, on what we've talked about tonight. So uh, I think that I, I'll go middle of the road. I think I'll have to go to five. Okay. Five. Um, I'm trying to think of where my ratings at. I, I have fluctuated the whole time that we've been talking. Uh uh, yeah. My point is, it's yeah, it's Bruce and it's Bruce and Angus, but Bruce does a lot of the heavy lifting, and Angus is in too late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. That's, that's, absolutely, yeah. Because I mean, what what would have been what would it have hurt? What if instead of arguing with her mom about the the dream world, he was there long enough to argue with her about it himself? He would have been the proponent, and she would have been the upstart. And then he he goes into the dream world and never comes back. And that's where they're left, you know. Woulda, coulda, and shoulda, right? Yeah. Yep. So many missed opportunities, and that's like I said, that's where my rating came in at a four because there was, I mean, it was there, but it wasn't. I agree with a lot of what both you guys said. Um, I'm going to get my rating first. I'm going to match Corey's five. I may actually revisit it, too. Yeah, I'll revisit it again probably in a couple of years. Well, if it comes back on Tubi because I do not have a physical copy of this at all. Uh, But I give it a five mostly. I'm sorry. I was going to say I I give it a five mostly because I can't. I would still recommend this to diehard fans. If you're a diehard Bruce Campbell fan, if you're a diehard, you know, post-apocalyptic type of fan, if you're a diehard Bruce or Angus fan, or you just like good gory effects, you're a fan of K and B. I, I can recommend. I could still recommend it, and I got to at least give it a five because my my guideline is anything a five and over. I can re- recommend anything under a five. I can't recommend. Yeah, I'll, you know what? I'll bump mine up to a five too because I did kind of neglect the special effects on there so yeah that 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 does bring it up to a one more point they'll give it a five as well wait a minute wait a minute does that, guys. Mean for the, does that mean for the first time ever we have a three-way tie for a rating i think we do, I oh, think we God do. Damn. yeah yeah i don't think we've ever uh and anything well, we've done well, we've you, ever had you, a... you both have convinced me that my rating was a tad bit low you know i, I will give credit where credit is due so you're, you're mending your rating to, from I, four I, to I, five. I am, am going to bring it up for five because I did. I kind of, like I said, the, the talking points that I did make, I can or and I kind of skimmed over. It. I said the effects were there, but the effects were really good. They weren't just there. Well, yeah, they I would were, almost they venture were to really say, well I'm not so sure I would have finished this movie if it hadn't have been for the effects. Yeah, if, if the effects would have been cheese too, it had probably been shut off. Yeah, because they did a lot of things right. They just didn't fully realize their own potential. I mean, the the locations were great. I they, think it was the most realized they were on. When they were yeah. in, I think it was the most realized. So, but yeah, like the the effects were good. The acting, other than uh, the Judy character, was good, and that that's really what brought it down. I probably could have given it a six if somebody else had been in the role of Judy, because when you got somebody as good as Bruce and as good as Angus, you need somebody to at least try. If not, if not to match their abilities, they need to at least try to match their abilities. And I feel like, you know, I I went and looked up her, uh, you know, her IMDb. This was only her second project. So I got to kind of, in a manner of speaking, 
forgive her for her kind of lackluster job because she was still very green. You know, she, she only her second project. You know, I, I think they probably needed they needed to get somebody that was a little bit more seasoned. And that would have probably. Uh, I need to ask you two things. I ask you two things. Was the the lady in uh, body parts Jeff Fahey's wife? Is that Kim Delaney? Oh fuck, I don't remember. <laughs> I haven't seen body parts in so I can, long. I can imagine her. I can imagine her really fucking with this if she played that role. And the second thing I thought of was, can you imagine if Cronenberg would have done this during his existence phase? Oh wow, yeah. Oh, I looked it up. I think while, he kicked the shit out of this thing. I looked it up while we were talking. That was Kim Delaney from In Body Parts. I mean, you'd have to keep the bottle away, but uh, right. I, I think that she could. I think she could really kill. And I guess that that would be the thing, right? It's like, okay, well. Jeff Fahey's my husband in uh, in body parts, and he does fucking lawnmower man. Well, fuck that. I'm doing mind warp. I'm doing blood, <laughs> I'm doing blood and circuitry over here. Well, I looked at her IMDb credits, and she was pretty much a one two episodes of show here and there stuff, and she really didn't break out into the scene all that much. I bet she was like first <coughs> first waiting room patient. Yeah, it's, that's what a lot of it is. I was huh. Jenny on one episode of Dharma and Greg. <laughs> is she the girl that gets hit by the, the car? Uh, whoop de fuck. <laughs> I don't know, because I never watched Dharma and Greg. Hope Springs it's like, Eternal. It's like people that talk to me about Friends. Like, oh, did you remember that Friends episode? No, I never watched that shit. If people talk to you about Friends, just remember you got two right here. <laughs> yeah, let exactly. me tell you something about friends okay i used to watch the original show it was called living single <laughs> oh, shit. oh dude just so you know i am giving you a virtual high five from across the state <laughs> that's great hey i, I i'm gonna get a little little nostalgic and little wax philosophical here, but fuck, I love you guys, man. Oh, <laughs> it's great when we dude. I can't even tell you how glad I am that, that you started really leaning into this because we had such a fucking blast. Every time we do this, we just have the time of our lives. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. It is so much fun. Yes. I ne yes. I'll never tire of this. Always. I mean, I bet it's an editing fucking nightmare. <laughs> oh, it is. But. It is. But, you know, that's what I just settled down with a couple of fucking energy drinks and some really strong coffee and just, like, put my head down and do it. Cameron, 2.30 in the morning, fucking balls deep into a bag of pot gummies and a fucking cup of coffee editing fucking this shit. <laughs> Dude, you are not far off. <laughs> you are He's not far off at all. I know I'm He's not. I'm fucking right there He's with you. He's got a t-shirt with the mugwump from fucking Naked Lunch on there. <laughs> oh, speaking of coffee, I've got a perfect idea for our fucking first piece of merchandise for fucking Cinema Degeneration. My, oh. fucking, my fucking joke that I keep bringing up about Carolyn Schlitt. <laughs> like, what the fuck happened to her? We need to get a fucking picture of that fucking shot from V for Vendetta where they fucking put Prilari into the fucking... <laughs> the, the fucking... Black bag of treaties and have Carolyn shit's face on her. 
<laughs> well, I always, this thought, woman? I always wanted to. She I always wanted to do a campaign that said, "Who the fuck is Clue Gulager on there?" And I think that's a perfect cinema degeneration T-shirt. Who the fuck is Clue Gulager? <laughs> he's the savior of the world because he's got to do some fucking. The Robert hey, man. Uh, coffee I mean, mug that holds your donut. <laughs> right in his oh, crevice. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Dude, it would be great if you could make a mug of Zadar's head where if it doesn't have any hot liquid in it, it looks like Robert Zadar. But when you put the hot liquid in, it looks like Maniac Cop. <laughs> oh, shit. That, that was good. so many fucking hot cakes on titties right there. Speaking of while we're on the subject of Bruce Campbell and Angus Scrim real quick, what is your favorite <laughs> Bruce Campbell movie that is not Evil Dead related? Don't say fucking Congo. No, no, it's not Congo. Um, I can't think of the name of it. Could it be a TV show? Or does it it could be, be a, dude, you can, if you want Jack of all trades or whatever, you can do that too. <laughs> My favorite mm, I is the fucking I, the horror movie where they're in the fucking uh, the grocery store. I can't fucking think of the name of it, but but that's one of my favorite Bruce Campbell movies. Oh, Intruder. Be- Intruder, yeah. Not so much because Bruce Campbell's in it. The fucking hamburger story. Oh my god. Oh, uh, yeah. which which was repeated in Raising Arizona. Was it? Yes, I think it was from Raising Arizona, wasn't it? Wasn't it, it Raising was the Arizona? Same, because it's the whole Coen Brothers connection with Raimi. And Spiegler, or Spiegel, it ended up in Raising Arizona, because I think Raising Arizona was after Intruder, I thought. Because hmm. M.M.A. Walsh tells that almost exact same story in the machine shop with Nicolas Cage. I'm still trying to think. I'm still trying to think of my favorite one. I want to say Bubba Hotep, but I can't, I can't do that. I, actually, I'm, I'm going to go here super obscure. I'm going to say Running Time. Oh, wow. What was that one? Running time. So I'm not even familiar with that. It's a heist movie, all done in real time. It all that all takes place in the same like 85 minutes, and it's all done in one take. Wow! But it's also shot in black and white, and I'm a sucker for anything shot in black and white. But it's uh, it's done by Josh Becker. Uh, He wrote and directed it. He was part of the the Sam Raimi clan at that point. But yeah, it came out. I think I'm gonna have to go. Sorry. I think it came out like 96, 97. I think I'm going to have to go with The Woods. It was good to see, uh, it was good to see Bruce Campbell as a dad, especially in sort of like this weird, non-specific late 50s, early, or like maybe like late 50s to early 70s era. You couldn't quite tell. It was somewhere in that weird kitsch era. Um, Lucky McKee. I think I think that was the movie that was supposed to to break Lucky McKee out, and it didn't quite work. Yeah, Lucky McKee never did really bust out on the scene like he should have. I think that May almost did it, and then May led to the if, I'm, if I got the timeline right. I think May almost did it, and it brought the Woods about because the Woods had um, the lady from Shawshank Redemption in there. There's all kinds of young actors that end up doing stuff in that. And it's a fantastic fucking movie. So I would have thought that he, but 
it almost makes me wonder if he railed against it because of his own sort of proclivities as like an indie. I almost think that he may have sort of like balked at the at the big time a little bit. But he did one of my favorite uh, of the Masters of the Hor- Masters of Horror series though too. It's like Sick Girl, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. That was a good one. So yeah, The Woods is my pick. Nice. And what was your pick, Eric? Uh, mine was the intru- the intruder. Intruder, yeah, just, yeah. Just for that hamburger story, like I said, it fucking first time I heard that, it would be fucking rolling. It's like, man, that sounds like some shit Cameron would put in his movie. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that uh, I can't remember his name right now, but the the character from Evil Dead Two, and he was kind of like the second in command and intruder, and he was in Dark Man. I wish the that guy would Evil Dead Two. He was uh, the, the, yeah, the Danny. Danny. I wish that he would have done more stuff. I love that guy. Yeah, Danny Hicks, man. He was a, he was good old reliable Jake. Oh, I love it, and I also love. Um, we're getting all kinds of everywhere, but I always thought that one of the most genuine reactions in cinema history was when he's got the fucking Kandarian dagger through him, and he's and she accidentally touches it or whatever, and he's screaming, and she just yells him to shut up. I don't know, that was. That is one of the most genuine reactions that ever would have happened in in life, right there. Right. Oh, poor another Danny. One is, uh, Love that guy. Another one. Another one is when Brendan Fraser sees the fucking scarab like moving up the guy's arm and the mummy, and he goes, "Oh!" I'm thinking that was really legitimate too. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Danny was a good guy. I, I hung out with him a couple of times at, at some shows. Uh, my buddy uh, Tim O'Saven had introduced me to him at a show, and we hung out a couple of times. He was he was good people. Oh, okay. Well, guys, I want to thank you for going into the late late night uh, into or into the early a.m. is more like it. Uh, going down this trip with me, I fucking I've had a blast from talking about Angus and Bruce to segues into phone booth and <laughs> Keith or Sutherland to. But I would have to say that the, at least uh, there's there's another merit to having done this, which is I would think that there are very few reviews and analyses of this movie out there. There can't be so, many. So it'll probably, hopefully, it'll sort of, because I would think that at the very least, if you go, hey, Bruce Campbell uh, was kind of doing some serious acting alongside Angus Scrim in a, in a role that wasn't just a ripoff of the tall man, I would like to think that that alone would reel anybody in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then, yeah, we don't want them anyway. <laughs> so I like to think that at least has has that merit, and I do think that we went into we went into some analyses that's going to give some food for thought on this motherfucker. I think that we really, and I knew that we would. I I just had a feeling that there was enough to it, with not a whole lot of things to contradict you, where you could just be like, this may have happened, this may have happened, and then you see kind of like the religious aspect, and you see the uh, the electric complex aspect. There's all kinds of stuff in this, so. Yeah, this and pulled me uh kind of pulled me hard on this one. Huh? 
<laughs> but it was because <laughs> I really I didn't have really much to say about it because I only got to watch it the one time. So I'm going completely off of memory. And, you know, I didn't even get a chance. I was going to go back, watch it again, take some notes, and fucking it was gone. So I had to fucking... I I just kind of ran out of time. But uh, I think for the most part, I probably remembered. It it made enough of an impression that I remembered most of it. Yeah, I remembered most of it, but... I was like glad I, said, I took I notes like on my the, first watch. I was yeah, glad I, I definitely, took notes. I, I should have took notes on it the first time around, but I didn't. So I had to kind of go with memory on this one. But you guys definitely were able to, you know, pull out enough stuff to where I could actually, you know, have some commentary on this because I only got to watch it the one time. I think that Cameron actually prefers me flying by the seat a little bit. It's, it might, I might work better without notes. I don't know. So. Oh, you do. You do. You yeah, work better you know, with notes because. You definitely have an in-depth, you know, thought process behind what you watch. It's, it's very noticeable. So, yeah, I would say you probably work better with no notes because, I mean, like I don't know you very well, but you'd seem the type to where if you took notes, we'd fucking have a book because you have <laughs> so much thought process going on. Like, I, I can see the fucking gears turning as you're talking, man. It's like, wow, this guy fucking really puts a lot of thought into this. It you would know, be which, so uh, wonderful if the writer like contacted you and was and just crying on the phone. <laughs> He's like, I can't believe he took my vision. And you're the guy you guys you guys are the only ones who ever understood my vision. <laughs> well we had to get him at his Starbucks job that he's working at now probably. I'm thinking uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking shotgun interlude after he didn't I'm get the job. That guy that that fucking, I'm thinking he's the guy that goes down into the septic tanks and the fucking Porta Johns and cleans them out that with the fucking bacterial suit. He he's oh. got a uh, he's got the rotor from a Cuisinart like hanging off his bibs. No, he's so used to being dipped in shit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's better than being dipped in that grinder. Or is it? I don't know. Where's Spiegel Frank? He's over there again. Oh, shit. All, All right. right gentlemen. On, on, on fecophilia uh, and ass-eating and fecal Frank, we're going to call it a night here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we're a little slap-happy. But Eric, Corey, want to thank you, brothers, man, for, for going down this road with me. We'll have to do Fortress oh, coming up soon. Uh, well, well, you and know, if, there's, hey, you, gotta, you, know, you can't forget, man. You got something... Uh, that's that just hit the hit the streets, didn't you? Oh shit! Yeah, you fucking reminded me. Thank you, sir. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be a published uh, author here for the first time. I've been a writer for almost 35 years, writing screenplays and short stories and stuff. But I'm going to be uh, published for the first time coming up in, on October 31st is the release date. The story that well, I, the story I wrote is called "Born to Bleed." It's part of an anthology called "Let's Get Hammered," where every uh, story is based on or based in the world of Hammer horror films. And if you're not familiar with Hammer horror films, uh, just look them up. You know, Christopher. Uh, Lee. And what are you doing here? I mean, yeah, what, yeah. What are you doing here if you if you don't know? But it's uh, being released through Bonehead Publications. It's called "Let's Get Hammered." Uh, it's being uh, released by Alan McNeil and my good buddy Tom Commissar is also on it. Uh, a couple other authors are on there. there. I think there's eight stories or seven stories in total. 
but mine story is called Born to Bleed, uh, where pre-order goes up within the next day or two, I think. I think it goes up in the next couple of days. You think by but, the time uh, of, uh, of this uh, this being released, it'll, it may have been out for a couple of weeks or something? Yeah, because th- these won't start releasing until November, so the, the, the street date for this for the pre-order and everything is uh, October 31st. That's if everything goes according to plan, but it should because uh, through the group chat that we have going on with, with Alan, everything is going according to plan. It's been accepted. Uh, you know, the prototype has been accepted at uh, Amazon. So we're just waiting on a proofread real quick. So everything should go up in the next couple of days. But yeah, look it up. Uh, Bonehead Publications of Let's Get Hammered. An all Hammer Horror themed uh, thing. And again, like if you don't know Hammer Horror films, Again, like Corey just said, what what are you doing here? But that being said, yeah, yep, going to be published for the first time, other than a screenplay, which is not the same, is just kind of not not the same. But yeah, my first legit uh, publication, so I'm pretty uh, excited and pretty honored about that. And I've seen it already, so it it, 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 I've seen it, so it rocks hardcore. Anyone who's wondering, he's got the goods. Does it rock as much as Psycho Chicken Massacre? Uh, and it's a completely different melody. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that. It, later. We'll talk about Psycho funky. Chicken Massacre later on. <laughs> but thanks but for it, reminding it, me about that. Yeah, appreciate. No it. problem. Uh, if you don't mind me plugging too, um, at this time, hopefully, Triptych, uh, Three Tales of Frontier Horror, is still on Amazon, kicking pretty strong. It ended up uh, doing really, really well. Uh, I was working with Richard Beauchamp. Uh, in the editing and I, I actually have a credit for co-writing on one of them because I did so much work on it but he's got another one coming out that I had a lot to do with editing wise called Death in the Black Window uh, and that's coming out in an in fact it's coming out in an apocalyptic anthology for Doc, uh, Dark Peninsula publishing and it may not be out by the time this comes out but I think it should be out by the end of the year I'm not sure about that Nice. so nice. Uh, there's a, it, it's been really great, uh, finding out about a lot of guys that I know and and love, like getting into the writing thing, because it's just, it is totally awesome. Especially since Tom is also in there. It's great to see a bunch of guys that I know with these fantastic imaginations, like putting it out there for people to see for sure. Yeah. It's pretty exciting to see things finally coming together for some of us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that being said, yeah, we got some stuff in the works here, folks. You know, by the time this comes uh, comes out, uh, you know, we'll we'll all be you know on the up and up, being published and shit. Look at us. <laughs> you know, Eric, I keep hoping that Eric does his like Glenn Larson Far Side type like one panel comic thing. I would like to see that happening. Uh, I, I'm not really doing comics right now. I, I'm more of a comedian than a comic guy i don't know i mean I just used like, to be, like the one panel like far side it's just like one panel thing with you know i can see you doing that yeah maybe <laughs> i mean i kind of do memes and stuff here and there kind of when i'm lower but it's mostly for cinema degeneration it's just little stupid catchy things here and there but i do got some miniature things coming out here i got i got some projects i'm kind of Hey, but that's how it starts. It's all got, it all starts somewhere, man. It all starts somewhere. Like I said, I'll be having, I'll have my professional page up and ready here soon. And like I said, I got some stuff coming. So 
you know, if yeah, you guys, when you do, you, you definitely got to plug it here. Right on, right on. Well, good. We're all fucking on the up and up, man. That's what I'm all about, man. Is just watching us all grow. Maybe we should start a comic, uh, sort of like the comics, uh, the strips they used to have in the old newspaper, and make it all about Stover and Seer. <laughs> and not about Stover Judy. And, and they're no. just like playing poker in the afterlife or something. I don't know. And it, tur- and it turns out that, like, it goes huge, and everybody asks where it's from, and, and we end up bringing Mind War back, and, like, Arrow or Severin picks it up for, like, a thing. Like, we could totally reinvent that entire everything, and they have, like, you know, they play at Am- Alamo Draft House just because of the strength of our comic. And Dude, that, I'm going to make that my life's work from here on out. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not, but maybe so. <laughs> well, I mean, we still have to do the Dr., the Dr. Fives thing. And like there, we got a, a lot of plans. There are a lot of plans and we're getting older now. <laughs> we we got to hurry the hell up. There's too much shit to be done. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, we're going to stick a pin in this one for the union folks. Thank you as always for listening. You have been listening to the three of us ramble on and on about mind warp from 1991 and join us for more cinema degenerations, wasteland appreciation month coming soon to you.